Now, from the Paxa Studios in downtown Honolulu, The Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. Aloha Friday morning with the Sports Animals. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Chris on vacation. He's on the mainland right now. And uh, thank you for joining us. A lot to talk about. Another big weekend ahead of us in sports, in many different sports. Let's go over some of the headlines first. And the first one, as we talk about you know college football and the NFL, and rightfully so, of course, college basketball, the NBA, can't forget about some of the other sports, including uh, surfing, which means Carissa Moore, of, cor- of course, and she has just won the Sullivan Award. It's awarded to the United States' most outstanding college or Olympic athlete. She is the first surfer and the first native Hawaiian to win the award, which was given out 92 times right now. She got the award yesterday in Honolulu. Of course, she's been a world champion multiple times, triple crown of surfing, won numerous awards, but what a great award to win the Sullivan Award. And Jocelyn Alo was up for it as well. Uh, There was also a wrestler named Jordan Burroughs and a baseball player named uh, Ivan Melendez, and Bryce Young was up for that award as well. But congratulations, Carissa Moore. Pretty cool deal, Tanner, isn't it? I mean, it's always nice to bring hardware back to the island. So, you know, congratulations to Carissa, and almost congratulations to Jocelyn Allo, the new college softball GOAT. So always great to see the representation from the islands. Yeah, definitely, and congratulations. She's been on our show a few times. She's been at our sports festival, I think, a couple of times as well over the years. But, yes, congratulations. Uh, another headline, and maybe it's not it's, – it's, it's kind of tied in with a few different areas of college football, and I'll start with this, and maybe we can get into it a little bit more later. But the Army-Navy game is being played tomorrow, the last regular season college football game of the year. And uh, we'll have it on ESPN Honolulu, kickoff at 10 a.m. A game that doesn't always mean a lot, it kind of does mean a lot anyway. Even if the teams, you know, they're playing obviously for the Commanders and Chief Trophy at times and, you know, just the rivalry and the tradition, but it's always seemingly has a really exciting finish, a lot of drama, the cadets lining up, uh, dressing up. Uh, it's just a great atmosphere. I would love to attend one of those some days, and I know a lot of people say it's one of the most special college football games of the year. Right, and then, of course, I don't think it's a Commander and Chief Trophy Award game because I believe Air Force kind of blew it out of the water, how they right. beat all the military institutes and also all the Colorado schools. So shout-out to Air Force. Also big shout-out because the Army-Navy game is usually home to, I think, kind of like the best-dressed football game when it comes to both the stands and on the field. Right. I believe this year is another really great pair of uniforms from both the Army and Navy. I think Navy's going – I can't remember what they were going – I think theirs was space-themed, and then the Army is tank-themed. And I, the jerseys look awesome. And, you know, judging from all the stuff that's gone on this year and the last year, I'd say that 
Well, he's probably not going to be rooting for Navy this year. <laughs> Just going to yeah, go out on a hunch there. I wonder, has there been, has there been a water spill today? I mean, a water leak? Uh, uh, water not yet. Break? Not that I've heard yet. Uh, it's early. It's early. Uh, we can go you on never know. that for a while. Yeah, right. Uh, I could go on in a lot of areas there, a lot of directions, but uh, we'll, we'll leave it at that. But that's probably a Sorry, good point Kenny. there. Okay, yeah, right, right. But uh, we, we all understand. It took me a couple of seconds, but we all understand. <laughs> uh, the other part of college football I want to tie it into is the transfer portal and players signing. And I'm going to let Tanner expand on this, but the University of Hawaii, we heard about this a little yesterday, more details now. They got their first verbal commitment via the transfer portal for the upcoming season, and it's a guy named Elijah Robinson. He's a grad transfer DN from East Carolina. He said he will sign the first day of the early signing period, which is on the 21st of December, less than two weeks away. Tanner is into recruiting like nobody I've ever met. What do you know about him? So Elijah Robinson, obviously, one year of eligibility coming out of Eastern Carolina. Um, He said that he is going to be petitioning for a medical redshirt because he did not play the whole year in 2021. So hopefully that'll be a uh, two-year eligibility for this guy. But yeah, he is, you know, solid size. Uh, He's about 255, uh, I think 6'3". I can't remember the height off the top of my head. But let's be real. I think this is going to be a good depth signing for the University of Hawaii if he comes out to be a very good starter, then good for him. But right now for the University of Hawaii, what we need right now, especially on that defensive line, is depth. You lose a lot, a lot, a lot of guys on that D-line. And I think one guy that I think of that this guy could probably fill the role of is like a Colby Wyatt. You know, you don't necessarily see him a lot on the stats, but he was a solid guy to come in uh, in lieu of a tired edge rusher. I think he and Ezra Evaimalo pretty much swap places for a lot of the times during the year. Uh, I don't think maybe he'll be a guy to take up a spot like uh, Wyndon Ho'ohuli, who you know saw time at the edge this year before not playing at all for the rest of the year due to an injury. So, you know, it's I'm, I'm just mostly excited that we got somebody in uh, before the early signing period to say that they want to get here. A lot of people have been showing commits on, on Twitter. Yeah. And, uh, you know, as the portal kind of heats up, especially with Deion Sanders kind of heating up the portal himself. Uh, It's going to be very interesting to see where a lot of these guys go, especially as the portal is, you know, expected to pass that 3,000 that we saw last year. Uh, I'll bet. Hey, before we get to our third headline, I want to stick with this for a second because Chris and I have talked about UH football a lot. We don't talk to you as much on the air, but you have a lot of knowledge and information. In your opinion, and you, you talked about depth on the D-line, totally agree. What would be the one position they need to fill the most on? Not so much as far as depth, but as far as getting an impact player right away for next year via the portal or just, you know, JUCO or high school signings. I would say just right here on the D-line because okay. if you look at Hawaii's history, I think the last – guy who the our last good pass rusher was probably Padello back in 2018 I believe that was the last guy I could think of to think oh here comes another sack we need another sack here come on Padello let's go let's go let's go I haven't really thought about a guy that I would necessarily necessarily rely on to get a consistent pass rush I mean we've had guys like a Jonah Laulu but he's had you know, a couple of stints during the season, but back when he used to play for the University of Hawaii, where he didn't really do much on the stat line. Sure, he was a large, imposing body, but he never really showed that off on the stat line much like Padello did. 
And I think we just need to land someone to, you know, strike fear on that offensive line because, you know, with guys like John Tuitupo, we got guys like Blessman Ta'ala leaving. I think we just need to find some kind of size, some kind of speed off that edge just to help our secondary because there are times where our secondary does play well, but just due to the lack of pass rush, that that secondary is going to break down no matter what if you have zero pass rush. Yeah, I, I, I agree, and I think it's going to be so interesting to see in Timmy Chang's first full year of being able to recruit. It'll be technically, I guess, 11 months. But what happens on December 21st as far as what they get early? I know they're all on the road. Uh, we're seeing mentions on social media where they are around the mainland, and uh, let's see what they get. And uh, as you and I, and I'm sure many others know, the way the early signing period has gone, the first year there weren't a lot of players committing in the early signing period. Well, you had the normal one in February. You didn't have to sign in December. Why are, you then they, why are they even adding it? And little by little, and it's only been around maybe five years, uh, around there at least, within a year of that, I, I believe, uh, more and more players are signing, more and more schools want to sign those players because now everybody realizes if I wait till February, I'm not going to have the same opportunities. Not as many schools are going to have scholarships available and the schools realize we want to get that guy in December because if we wait till February, somebody else is going to grab him too. So this early signing period, I think, is going to start getting more players and more of the great players than the February one. Especially that the uh, first transfer window for college football ends on January 19th. Right. So if you're transferred, probably that period from early signing period to January 19th is probably where you're going to see the most activity in terms of being signed. And look, the portal has gotten so big that the Athletic has done their second annual all-portal team, and this is probably a team that could the rival. Team. <laughs> it's a, probably a team that could rival most college football teams. You have a lot of really great talent in the portal right now, just due to just the regular influx. I mean, Texas A&M right now is being, I think, is the has is the team that has the most transfer players going from Texas A&M. This is a team that. You know, last year had the number one recruiting class. It was you know, was um, accused of buying their recruiting class. And nothing right. says that you bought your recruiting class more than a bunch of freshmen getting their money and leaving. Yeah, you know, I think a lot of the people in Texas A&M and College Station, I've been there numerous times, I think a lot of people are hoping that one more person entered the portal, and his name is Jimbo Fisher. I don't know if that's going to happen yet, but if he has another year where he doesn't make the bowl game, I, I don't think I'll have to worry about uh, leaving on his own. I think they'll buy him out. I really do. If he has another off year, again, first of all, you have to make a bowl game. And even with that, you have to be a lot more competitive. He could be out of a job. Well, more we got more, more college football, uh, a lot more NFL that Tanner and I will get with the third headline. And we're going to tie this in with our first guest coming up in about five, six minutes. That Thursday night game last night with Baker Mayfield was something I, I will never forget. You can make a 30-for-30 30 30 on that. I, I couldn't believe he played, and he didn't start because Wolford played the first series. I didn't realize he had a neck problem at first, but he didn't throw a pass in that first series. And Baker Mayfield, 48 hours after arriving and maybe signing in L.A., he was only released on Monday, uh, unbelievable comeback. That, they, they were down 16-3 with about four minutes left in the game. And there's no way they were going to win. And Baker wasn't awful, but, I mean, what a tough position to put him in. And then, as we all know, one of the greatest comebacks I have ever seen. There's been great comebacks in football. Not with a guy being there less than 48 hours and throwing some incredible passes, including the game winner to Jefferson in that 23-yarder. I mean, let's put this into context here. 
Baker Mayfield arrived in L.A. at Tuesday at 7.30 p.m. <laughs> the game ended on Thursday in L.A. at 8.30 p.m. Think of that. Think about that. When he, they were talking with him after the game, he said the most practice he got were two 10-play drives with the first team. Two 10-play drives with the first team. And then he said, you know, luckily we ran the two-minute operation in practice. Right. I mean, to arrive with less than 48 hours with the team, with absolutely zero chemistry, because he's, he's never played with any of these guys because all these guys are role players for the Rams. I mean, to be able to not only run an offense, to be able to run a hurry-up two-minute offense with the game on the line, I think that was impressive. On It was an amazing uh, release by Van Jefferson on that uh, touchdown to end mm. the game. Um, you know, it was really great by Baker Mayfield because this is what Baker Mayfield is. He plays the best when he has that chip on his shoulder. Right. He plays the best when he is doubted the most. He won the Heisman after walking on to Oklahoma. That's his whole thing. He deals with adversity. And this game was basically his career because you see him first walk on to the field after not starting the game. He gets that drive to get three points. A lot of people, I think, would have been impressed by that alone, that he was able to get points off of only practicing for about a day and a half. And then to have that terrible middle half of the game, that's kind of like what Cleveland, that was kind of like his last year with Cleveland, where yeah. it was just bad, nothing was looking good, ah, oh, Baker sucks, what are we doing, how is he playing? And then this last drive shows you why he was the number one overall pick. And even the drive where they got the other touchdown, I, I, I can't remember. I think Cam Akers ran it in from a couple of yards out, one or two yards out. That was a great drive. They scored with, what, three and a half, 340 left, I believe, the first touchdown. And to get the second, I mean, this game was over. There was no way they were going to win. Not that the Raiders are great. And he outplayed Derek Carr. Derek Carr was 11 for 20, two interceptions, and one of them in the end zone right before halftime, I believe. Uh, I mean, it's just an amazing, amazing story. I, I just couldn't believe it. I mean, we've, we saw Tom Brady bring Tampa back back last week an amazing finish there but yeah, that's Tom Brady not to put down Baker Mayfield just because he's Baker Mayfield and comparing it with Brady but under those circumstances that you described that's just incredible I have never seen anything quite like that I, I can understand if he wins comeback player of the year just based on that which is crazy because he's played this year. I mean, he's been in three different organizations this season. I mean, he was with Cleveland in the preseason for a while. Uh, I don't know if he even played in the game, though, but he was, in the, he was with them when camp started. And to go through what he's gone through, I mean, he probably doesn't even have a, a, an address in L.A. He probably doesn't have half of he's his He's probably clothes. staying at an Airbnb right now. Yeah, right. And I'm sure he's got a lot of offers from Rams players and fans. After. They don't even sell his jersey or his T-shirt jersey. They, they, the do, sell, they, do, sell, they, they do sell his jersey online. Don't ask me why. Wow, okay, but I'm sure at the stadium, I mean, it was just too fast. I mean, that was just an incredible story, and we're going to get more into that because coming up in a couple of minutes, we're going to have Ben Volan from the Boston Globe, a senior NFL writer, join us and talk about Baker and more NFL topics as we get ready for a big weekend, so stay tuned for that. ESPN Honolulu is presenting Call the Coach with basketball coach Aron Gannat coming up this Monday at 6 p.m. at Ruby Tuesday in the Moana Lua Shopping Center. You can join host Josh Bashek and Coach Gannat in person, or you can listen on the air or watch on our YouTube channel or other social media platform shows at 6. I'll be there. Hopefully you can make it down as well as we talk Rainbow Warrior Basketball on ESPN Honolulu. 
Another version of a great song last Christmas. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayward. We are your sports animals. It's Aloha Friday morning. We were just uh, touching a little bit on the NFL game from last night. We're going to delve a lot more into it now as we are joined here on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia Hotline. He's a senior NFL writer with the Boston Globe. Ben Bolin back with us. Ben, uh, that game last night, I, I, I was thinking at halftime, why would they play Baker Mayfield if he's not doing anything? There's no way they're going to get points or win this game and then an hour and a half two hours later i admitted i was wrong did anybody see that coming with that finish no of course not and for baker mayfield who literally landed in town just a couple days ago in los angeles for him to go 98 yards for the game winning touchdown in the closing minutes is just remarkable and he was uh helped a lot by the raiders stupidity bad coaching (laughs) bad penalties by the raiders no question they they snatched uh defeat from the jaws of victory, but all the credit in the world to Baker Mayfield, who that could not have been easy to have to learn a new offense, you know, constantly checking the wristband, Sean McVay probably giving him detailed instructions in the headset. He stepped up and made some big throws throughout the game. So all the credit in the world to Baker Mayfield, an incredible ending to that game. And for the record, uh, between the Monday night game where the Bucks came back from 16 to three, and then last night where the Rams came back from 16 to three, you guys don't have this problem in Hawaii, but I fell asleep before each comeback, so I, I miss all the good football. Each of those oh, that's where they have DVRs, I guess. But wow, yeah, I, I mean, I, I mentioned how the Brady comeback was great, but it was Tom Brady. This is Baker Mayfield. First of all, he's not known for that, and Brady didn't get to Tampa twenty-eight or twenty-four or forty-eight hours earlier. I mean, in my opinion, that has got to be one of the most incredible finishes to a game I've ever seen, based on the circumstances. Absolutely. I saw some crazy stat from Adam Schefter that, you know, teams that are down by 13 points that late in the game are like four and 500. And two of those four happened just in the last week between Brady and and Baker Mayfield. So, yeah, just a remarkable comeback. Uh, The odds are squarely stacked against you. And again, you're on your two yard line to have to go 98 yards. is just incredible. But you know, I think the Raiders deserve a lot of credit, too, for completely blowing that game, uh, especially the coverage at the end. Playing press man coverage uh, in that situation with no help over the top, you're just begging for a, a touchdown like the one that scored. The play by Jerry Tillery to knock the ball out of Baker's hand and get a 15-yard penalty, just so many dumb mistakes from the Raiders. Really disappointing for them. That could have been a really good win for them. Would have been their fourth in a row. They would have right. had some good momentum. And instead, the season is just over now for the Raiders. So really, really disappointing loss by them. Yeah, it was an incredible finish. And, I I mean, I know it's still only one game for Baker Mayfield. This might be too soon to predict. But what do you think his future is? I I mean, is it okay for him, in his opinion, I guess, or in his mind, to be a backup to Matthew Stafford next year? Or do you think he'll move on to another team and have a chance to start again? I I, I don't know if it's going to be realistic for Baker Mayfield to get a starting job next year. I think at best, he would go to a team that drafts a quarterback and was looking at Baker Mayfield just to be kind of a, a seat warmer and to be a, a, a veteran there. Uh, otherwise, you know, the way he's played in Cleveland and then Carolina, I don't think Baker has won over too many people to say, hey, he's got to be our starting quarterback. Uh, you know, and we'll see what happens in L.A. You know, Stafford, I think his future is a little uncertain now with his neck injury. Um, and obviously his elbow injury that has affected him all season as well. So the, the Rams might have some big 
decisions to make at quarterback, and maybe they end up keeping Baker Mayfield just because they don't know what Stafford's availability is going to be. Um, but, yeah, but, you know, a nice, a great win last night, but that's not going to earn Baker Mayfield a, a starting job most likely. He's probably going to have to uh, be a journeyman now in the NFL. Okay. We are talking the NFL with Ben Glo- Ben Volan from the Boston Globe here on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM via the Aloha Kia hotline. The 49ers supposedly never even put a claim in for Baker Mayfield. You can kind of understand that. Do you think they might regret that now? And is Brock Purdy the quarterback that can still lead them to the playoffs and maybe a deep run? So they're going to make the playoffs. I, I feel pretty confident in that. They have a, the number one defense in the NFL, the 49ers do. And so that, that alone can carry you to a couple wins. Um, you know, I understand uh, at this point in the season, the only reason the Rams took a flyer on Baker Mayfield is because they have nothing to lose. They were 4-8 and eight right, or 3-9. Right. Three and, three and nine. You know, the Niners, I think Brock Purdy, the work that he's put in this year, that's a, probably a better situation for the Niners than bringing in Baker Mayfield cold and expecting him to pick everything up and, and play well. So, you know, look, if Brock Purdy can play like he did last week, the Niners will be okay. I, I think their Super Bowl chances are probably gone, and that's really unfortunate because I thought they were, with Garoppolo, I thought they were definitely one of the top contenders in the NFC and, and could have won the conference and made it to the Super Bowl. Now I think that's probably not going to happen to rely on Mr. Irrelevant, the guy who was taken with the very last draft pick this year, a, a seventh-round rookie to, to carry you to the Super Bowl. Probably not realistic. But if he can minimize interceptions and mistakes, they can definitely win some games, and that defense will be a problem uh, in the playoffs. Just in the playoffs, you need to play your best. You're playing against the best quarterbacks, the best offenses, and it's probably hard to expect Brock Purdy to keep up with that. But the Niners are still going to be dangerous, and because of that defense, they won't be a fun opponent for anyone. What have you heard? What is the latest? Now, I I read the other day that Jimmy Garoppolo won't need surgery, and he actually could come back maybe before the playoffs are over. So Kyle Shanahan poured a little cold water on that. There, There was reporting that Garoppolo, he didn't suffer the list Frank injury, which is a, a bad break on the top of the foot that could knock you out for like six months. So he avoided that. And so there was, you know, a report that maybe Garoppolo could be ready in seven or eight weeks, but Kyle Shanahan poured cold water on that and said that would just be a return to action, not necessarily ready to play. And, and seven and eight weeks is already getting you basically to the Super Bowl anyway. So the, the Niners are not counting on Garoppolo coming back this year. All their eggs are with Brock Purdy, and they went and signed Josh Johnson, and they have Jacob Eason on the practice squad. So not not a great quarterback scenario. And Kyle Shanahan's got to be just throwing his hands up to the heavens wondering what do I have to do to get a healthy quarterback (laughs) through the season because this is now the third time that they've had a promising season being wrecked by an injury to Jimmy Garoppolo. So it's just, uh, you know, probably a a lot of uh, people feeling sorry for themselves in, in San Francisco over the fate of their quarterback right now, but they've got to pick it back up and try to do the best they can with Brock Purdy. Ben, yesterday we heard about the U.S. House Committee on Oversight and Reform. Uh, They had the final results of their report, 79-page report about Daniel Snyder, that he permitted and participated in the toxic workplace culture. More, and they're also taking a shot at the NFL and how they were involved there. What what is next in this situation? Yeah, I'm not sure if 
yesterday really changes things. We already knew that Snyder was a fairly despicable person. Anyone with half a brain knew that obviously he's at you know the the person responsible for the workplace culture there. What I found interesting in, in yesterday's news was that the uh, the the House committee thinks that Dan Snyder or his people were the ones who leaked the John Gruden emails, which we all again we all kind of thought it, but now we, we have more definitive statements from uh, from Congress saying as much and. You know, maybe that's something that really spurs the owners to try to force Dan Snyder out of the club. You know, Snyder came out a month or two ago and said he's going to plan to sell the team. But, like, I don't know. Given how adamant he's been in the past that he's not selling, I don't trust him. I, I, I could totally see him just saying that as a way to keep people off his case or, oh, I never intended to sell the whole team. I was just going to sell a part of the team. Dan Snyder is just like – the bad guy in a movie who never goes away. Like you have to kill him eight times. You know, <laughs> no one wants Dan Snyder in the league anymore. But he's just been so adamant that he's not going to sell his team. I'm I'm just very skeptical of, you know, e- even if the owners try to force him out, it, it takes a lot. It would take a lengthy process to to force him to sell the team. So we'll see where all that goes. But I, I just don't trust anything that comes out of Dan Snyder's mouth. So when he says he's going to sell the team, I'm definitely in a wait. Right, I can understand that. And there's so much going on off the field, a lot going on on the field as we are getting in the home stretch of the regular season. Ben, thanks again for joining us. Happy holidays to you and your family. Great follow on Twitter is at Ben Bowl, and hopefully we'll talk again soon before the playoffs come upon us. All right, thank you very much. All right, thank you. Ben Volan again from the Boston Globe. He's a senior NFL writer joining us here on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia hotline. At Aloha Kia, you know a guy. And speaking of football, this coming Wednesday is our final edition this season of the Rivals Fantasy Football Show. Uh, we will have KC Mallon from uh, FootballDudesLA.com. I've been a great guest over the years, so if you want some advice as it's getting near playoff time for a lot of us and uh, the end of the regular season, is coming up, and it's the end of our regular season for the Rivals Fantasy Football Show. Listen at 8 a.m. on Wednesday morning. It is presented by Rival Sports Bar and Lounge in the Waikiki Malia by Outrigger. You can get some great help, and of course, we'll have some great memorabilia to finish up this regular season. Thanks for joining us for the Rivals Fantasy Football Show all season long on ESPN Honolulu. Hear those sleigh bells jingling, ring ting a tingling too. We are the Sports Animals on Aloha Friday. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayward, thank you guys for tuning in. You can always call and or text at 808-296-1420. We'll get to some text coming up a little bit later. Uh, next hour, Larry Beal will be joining us, so it would be great to catch up with Larry Beal, get his thoughts on Bay Area and University of Hawaii Sports, which he keeps a close eye on. In fact, he was, I'm not sure if he's in town now. He was in town a couple of days ago, but that's coming up ahead. I just want to talk a little bit more about the NFL, Tanner, and just one more, to me at least, one more uh, point about that NFL Thursday night game last night. I almost forgot that the New England, I mean the New England, the Tampa Bay game with Brady and that comeback was just a few days ago. I knew it was from last week's game, but uh, three, you know, have 16 to 3 games in the fourth quarter and both teams come back and win. It's got to be, again, the odds of that are incredible. Again, with Baker Mayfield and what he had to go through, 
Ben Bolin was pointing out how the Raiders' uh, stupidity was one of the ways he described it. You know, snatching, defe uh, snatching defeat when you had a victory basically already sewed up and it would have been their fourth win in a row trying to get back into a playoff situation. Now, according to ESPN, they have a 4% chance of getting in. But I also think Sean McVay deserves a lot of credit for being able to have Baker Mayfield, and McVay's a great offensive mind too, to get him so into the – the, the, the offense, whatever playbook they had. I mean, I wonder what percent of the playbook he had down. Because I was wondering how much, how much they would try to, you know, simplify things for him. And I remember there was one handoff, probably second quarter, where he handed it off to Cam Akers, and he bumped into him a little bit. And I'm thinking, of course, you know, you've been there, you know, 48 hours, you don't have a lot of time to practice these plays. But a lot of the other plays, it looked like he's been there for months, if not a year. I mean, he looked that in sync with them. But Sean McVay, I think, deserves a ton of credit as well. Yeah, I think he's, I mean, let's be real. He's one of the best coaches in the NFL right now. I mean, there was a lot of talk whether or not he would retire after right. last year and get that one of those huge broadcasting deals that everyone was starting to get last offseason. I'm glad Sean McVay's sticking around. Hopefully he decides to stick around for a little longer because I think this team is going to need a lot, of, uh, a lot of help to point themselves in the right direction after they decide to, you know, all their gambles are kind of, Fallen on them right now with a lot of their first round picks kind of being everywhere. I believe Detroit has their first round pick this year. Right. So yep. there's going to be a lot of assistance with this team trying to build up with lower, uh, lower quality uh, draft picks. But if a guy like Sean McVay sticks around, I won't be too concerned for the Rams. It's more of a waiting game, waiting until they're good again, whether or not if they'll be good again. And I'll like to mention this for Baker Mayfield because you're talking about this is the second game in a week where we've had a 16-3 to comeback. This is, I don't know if this is a thing or if there's a stat on this because Baker Mayfield in his Browns debut against the Jets. Uh, okay, I knew somebody was going to bring that up, and I they remember were down, this. They were down 14-3 to before he came in, and... In his debuts with at least two of his three teams, he's had a comeback of at least 10-plus points. So I don't know if that's a statistic or not, if anyone else has ever done that. But I think that's really awesome. That's, like, really an amazing thing to think about, that Baker Mayfield, you know, you say that maybe he's not really necessarily uh, known for that fourth-quarter comeback. But I would say that that is probably the one thing that he's good at in you know, he's not the strongest arm. I love that. Love saying that out loud. Yeah. Um, he is a lot, definitely a little more accurate than he is strong, but I think Baker Mayfield can be a guy for the LA Rams if he keeps up this positive momentum. Because, like we were talking about with Matthew Stafford, he is not the same guy. I mean, we do know he is the same guy in terms of injuries because he has that neck problem. He has the elbow problem. Yeah. It, I mean, he had an elbow problem going into this year. They didn't know whether or not Matthew Stafford was even going to play this year. So if Matthew Stafford's situation gets worse and worse, I mean, why not replace the uh, why not replace the former first overall pick with a new first overall pick in Baker Mayfield? 
Right, right. It does make sense. And that it was a Monday night game against the Jets. They were actually trailing 14 nothing. It was week two. I remember this. And all of a sudden, Baker Mayfield comes in. I think it was week thinking, three because they were 1-1-1 one, one, and one after that game. I do oh, remember okay. That. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. Okay. I know it was, it was early in the season, and you're, I'm thinking, well, this, this guy's not going to be able to do anything. And you could tell early on the Jets were probably going to blow it, kind of like the Raiders did last night. And, yeah, that was the only other times he has done something like that. How about this also? Fourth quarter last night, 15 of 20. First of all, it's a ton of passes in one quarter. That's and better I know than Derek Carr's whole night. He was 11 of 20. I know. It's incredible when you look at it that way. Uh, just an amazing, amazing performance. And, again, I, I've never seen anything quite like that. I mean, I know, again, Brady did it, but it was just certain of uh, the circumstances were so different that that is a, a game or a comeback that should get its own SB. I don't know what category exactly, but that was uh, just something where both games this week, Monday and last night, looked like they were going to be, you know, Dunk, I don't know what word to use, clunkers, uh, boring games, not exciting, not a lot of offense, no drama, and they both finished with incredible, incredible finishes. That's why you never turn the channel, and Ben Volan said he, you know, he, he fell asleep for both games, and that can be a problem for people on the East Coast because those games end around midnight. I, I've always been the guy, and I'm, I know you're a sports nut like I am, I will never, I mean, if I'm watching one game, I will never turn it off, well, I almost never. I will never turn, pretty much 99.9, never turn it off before it's over because you'd never know. And I don't want to miss a finish. I, I was with my brother once, and I, it was a, I forget what NFL game we were watching. And it was a Monday night game. This was in Nebraska years and years ago. And he said the game's over, and he turned the channel. I think it was a Jets-Miami game for some reason. And, of course, the Jets came back and won. And I was really mad because it was his house, his TV, and he didn't want to watch it boring finish to a game. I will never do that. I won't leave a game early because it's a route, and I will not turn the channel. And if there's another game on, I might switch to another game. But I'm not turning off a game. I just you don't never leave a game early because you never know. I have a feeling you're like that. Well, then this is going to be a little bit awkward. Okay, you're not? I've sometimes turned off games or left early. <laughs> but that's only because, okay, so one of the first ever times I've ever done it was the Seattle Seahawks-Denver Broncos Super Bowl. I turned that off at halftime. That okay okay. Uh, the my most recent one that I turned off or left early from, the one that I remember the most. You know what? That's not true. I did turn off the Miami Forty ers game because I was like, okay, I'm gonna get a nap in because I was at church earlier that day and I was tired. This past Sunday. Uh, right? Yeah. So, but the one that I remember the most from a sporting event that I left early, I think it was the Hawaii men's volleyball versus Long Island. And I okay, think this was, was January, like, right? yeah, and I think this was like game two of the series, and we were up to nothing, and I, you know, obviously I had work in the morning, and I was judging it, you know, there's a sizable crowd, and I'm like, okay, you know what, um, I think I'm gonna beat the traffic here, and then by the time I got past the stadium, the game was over. I was listening to it on the radio, and I was like, okay, yeah, I think this is the right decision here. And I got, you know, I got my garlic fries in. The, I saw so I got my good fix of volleyball and uh, garlic fries in the Stan Sheriff Center. So I had everything that I needed at that point. So imagine the people that turned off the Super Bowl. Let's say the score was twenty-eight to three. I don't think I have to tell you the name of the teams or what happened, but twenty-eight to three uh, will well, it, li- live for live forever. It's like the Miami Heat fans that left the uh, finals of the game, Spurs series, right? The game Spurs six. series where when yep. Ray Allen tied it up. Right, and they tried to get back in the arena. Some of a video of fans trying to get back in the arena. It was the NBA Finals. It looked like the Spurs uh, were about to win it, and uh, Chris, um, 
Chris Bosch got an offensive rebound, passed it to Ray Allen, three-pointer. They go to overtime. Miami wins, forcing a game seven, which they won, and fans left early. And I just, I, I've never, ever in my life left the game to beat traffic. Now, I have left games early, and this is the only reason I've done it. It's when I'm on vacation back east, and I've done it because I have another game I have to go to. And I've hated myself for that. I, I've done it. I went to a Knicks-Detroit game once on a Monday night, and the Jets were playing Tennessee in Monday night football. I've never been to a Monday night game at that point. And I had to leave the Knicks game in the middle of the third quarter to get to the Jets game in the middle of the first quarter. And I was mad. I was mad. I don't. I don't like miss. I don't like missing the national anthem. I'd go to UH games back before I was on radio, and I'd have uh, people that I went with for a season ticket. They'd have tailgate parties, big tailgate parties, like everybody else, and they would stay out there until the game started. I I didn't want to miss the begin. I didn't want to miss the opening kickoff. I I just. I, it's a really bad thing. I like to get to games really early. I mean, not like three hours early, but a good hour early. And, you know, maybe if it's a new arena, venue, stadium, you know, scope it out, check it out. But still, I want to soak in the whole atmosphere. And I've always been that kind of guy. I got more on that. If you have thoughts on that about leaving games early, and if you have any regrets, we'd love to hear those stories. And if you're a Patriot fan from that Super Bowl against Atlanta, I'm sure you're mad at yourself as well. Got a lot more to go over this Aloha Friday morning with the Sports Animals on ESPN Honolulu, 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Got a few minutes left in this uh, this hour. Can Larry Biolo join us about 7.20 a.m.? I just want to continue a little bit with that topic because, again, I, I love going to sporting events. Live sporting events, there's nothing like it. And Chris Hart the other day was talking about, you know, he's going to Las Vegas, and he might, he, I don't think he'll go to the hockey game. Actually, I, I checked the schedule. The only Golden Knights game is tonight uh, that he could go to. I don't know if he's going to go to a game that quickly, but it would be pretty cool to see. And we were talking about how live sports are better in hockey, I think, is great in person. And I said every sport, to me, is better in person. But then he brought up a good point about football, that, you know, it's better to watch on TV. I, I, again, I love going to a sporting event, and football is great on TV. You get a lot more, in, not so much insight with the announcers of the broadcast, but you get a lot better views of what going, what's going on than maybe in person. You know, with the cameras being right there and the angles and the amount of cameras. But when I go to a game again, I, I can remember twice being told because of the driver or the person who got me tickets. One was when I was a little kid that we're leaving now. And I was beside myself. I, I mean, I was really, really getting emotional. One was a New York Mets game when I was probably 10 years old. And my uncle had gotten free tickets and taken me and said we want to leave in like the seventh or eighth inning to beat traffic. And I was really, I thought, I mean, I don't say I was going to cry, but I was 10 years old and I, I, it was, I can remember it to this day. I don't remember who they were playing, but I remember it was a Sunday afternoon game. Not much traffic on a Sunday afternoon. Uh, another time I was with my brother in L.A. and this was probably, well, it's got to be 20 years ago because it was in the forum right before uh, Staples opened. And we were at a Lakers-Utah game. I talked him into going. He didn't want to go. Didn't care about going to live sporting events. I'm like, what are you kidding? I'm in L.A. I want first. The only thing I want to do is go to a sporting event. So we go to a Lakers game, and in the middle of the fourth quarter, he goes, oh, "I think we can make our move now." And I go, "What move?" He goes, "Well, we're going to leave." <laughs> no, we can't leave. And he was like insisting. I guess you know he became an L.A. guy over the years, and I, we kind of compromised. We moved seats and sat in a seat which was right next to the exit. 
So as soon as the game was over, we could basically be one of the first uh, people or persons out of the arena, and that was still tough to get. But Tanner, you brought up the volleyball match, and this is what I've done in the past. This was one. There was one volleyball match, and this is probably before, had to be before COVID. Men's volleyball, and they're up 2-0. Same kind of scenario. Might have been the same match, maybe. Uh, but I think it's happened to me a couple of times. So what I realize what people do at volleyball is when, whether it's women's volleyball or men's volleyball, when it's almost match point, people will get up and walk to in the concourse between the lower and upper level and be in the area where the exit doors are. So as soon as it's match point, they can get out of there and get into the parking garage and hopefully be one of the first people out. And so I started picking up on that over the years. And I did this as one match, and it was 2-0. And as you can guess, it went 5. And I remember once they lost. And I couldn't believe I was ready to leave thinking it's going to be a sweep. Then I knew they were going to beat them in 4. And then it goes to five, and that's happened, I think, two or three times. But I ended up having to find a seat and sitting down near the door because he couldn't stand up. Well, I don't want to stand up for an hour and a half, but I see people doing that at games, and I see people leaving UH basketball games early, and I understand that the game's out of reach, but you never know. I've seen it too many times. Well, we're going to take a break. We'll get you caught up with traffic. Got Larry Beal coming up in about 25 minutes from now. A lot more NFL, some college football talk. The Heisman Trophy is tomorrow. We're going to talk about that coming up as well. All ahead on the Bobby Curran Show, ESPN Honolulu. Hour number two of the Sports Animals on this Aloha Friday morning. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayward. Thank you for joining us again. Larry Beal coming up in about 20 minutes. Also this hour, we've got some uh, Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head basketball tickets to give out. We've got a pair for an entire day, one of the three days of the tournament. So you get four games in one day. We'll do that a little bit later this hour. And then in the 8 o'clock hour, we've got a pair of tickets for the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl coming up on Christmas Eve, Saturday the 24th at 3 p.m. So stay tuned for all of that. Some of the headlines we've been talking about, and I think this is great news again as we talked about it earlier in the 6 o'clock hour, Carissa Moore has won the uh, James Sullivan Award. It's for the most outstanding college or Olympic athlete in the United States. Again, she is the first surfer and, of course, the first Native Hawaiian to win the annual award. It's been given out 92 years in a row and uh, pretty prestigious for Carissa Moore, among the other great awards. Uh, the Triple Crown of Surfing, of course, an Olympic champion now, a world champion five times, and now she gets to add to that the Sullivan Award. This is uh, kind of a, well, it is a headline, I guess, but not much today. Brittany Griner has arrived in San Antonio, and I want to bring up one point on that. We we talked about it at length yesterday. A lot of people had opinions on that, and we covered it. And if you want to give us a call or text, feel free. But one of the points, as we had, uh, I believe, Richard Deitchon from The Athletic talking about maybe what her media future is. In other words, I wonder if she'll address this with the media in the near future at some point, and how she'll do it. But he brought up a good point. There's still actually a couple of prisoners over there. There's another guy who got caught with marijuana in the suitcase. I don't have his name in front of me. For some reason, his name is not out there like Brittany Griner and Paul Whelan, the ex-Marine, who has been there for, I think, three years now, I believe. Might have even been four years. Uh, I can't remember if it's three or four, but if Brittany Griner comes out in any interview and says, hey, they um, they treated me like bleep. This place was all bunch run by a bunch of bleep bleeps and really take shots at Russia, it could really hurt the chances of Paul Whelan. 
I think that's something to consider and remember that there's still a prisoner over there and she might have to choose her words carefully. I'm not sure where you are with that, Tanner, but that's just one thing I thought about yesterday. Yeah, I think that's basically what I'm at right now. And uh, we'll see about that. Another headline, I just saw this a few minutes ago. Now, we got all these college football awards, and we'll get into the Maxwell, Davey O'Brien, Heisman is tomorrow, as I mentioned. The AP has their first and second team All-American team. They also have a couple of other awards in there, and it is a Defensive Player of the Year, and it's the Kansas State guy, Felix Anduke Uzuma. I'm not sure if maybe Tanner knows him. Max Dugan was the Offensive Player of the Year at Sonny Dykes is the coach of the year. But there's another one, newcomer of the year, Dylan Gabriel. Dylan Gabriel did win the uh, award. This is a national award. It's not a Big 12 award. This was a national award for newcomer of the year. That's great. Dylan Gabriel had such a good start to the season. He gets hurt, and not only did uh, Oklahoma's season go really south, mainly because of their defense or lack of, uh, but I don't know if he was ever the same after that, but that's pretty cool that he's the newcomer of the year by the AP. Yeah, I think that's really great for Dylan. You know, I think a lot of people, you know, watching the uh, college football season, I wouldn't necessarily think that he had, you know, that great of a season. But this is a rebuilding year, unfortunately, for the Oklahoma Sooners, as they saw a lot of guys transfer out of their program just due to the uh, movement of Lincoln Riley. I think when you look at it like that, you wouldn't necessarily say that Dylan Gabriel was given all the best tools, even though, you know, he did choose to go there. Um, but, you know, congratulations by for Dylan Gabriel. And hopefully by the time next year, he'll maybe have some good progress and Brenton Venables can help recruit so that this team can get out of 6-6 six and six by the time they have to move to the SEC. And again, he gets hurt. And when he came back, I don't know if he was 100%, but their offense for the most part, wasn't the same as before he got hurt. I, I Maybe I was way off, but I remember saying several times, could he be a Heisman finalist? I didn't think he was going to win the Heisman. I know you had C.J. Stroud and Bryce Young from the, from the beginning of the season that were the favorites. Mac Duggan came on after that, of course, as well. And there's a few others. Will Anderson was even mentioned as maybe a, a potential finalist when the season started. But Dylan Gabriel was putting up incredible numbers. And Oklahoma was a top 10 team. I, I didn't know if they were going to remain in the top 10, and of course they didn't. But I really thought Dylan Gabriel was going to be a guy that had a chance. And I still don't think he had a bad year, of course. It's just that the second half of the season for them went, again, went south. And that defense, uh, their defense was just incredibly bad. The, the points they would let up week in and week out. I mean, their offense really, and the Big 12 was known for that not having strong defensive teams for the most part and having really strong offensive teams. And that was part of the knock on Kyler Murray winning the Heisman. He put up great numbers, but he put them up in a conference that allows tons of yards, tons of points, and maybe had a little advantage. I know the Tua lovers and backers would say that. And, you know, I I thought Tua was going to win that. Everybody did. But uh, anyway, going back to Dylan Gabriel, I thought he had a really good year, and we'll see what the future holds for him. But that was a nice award to get, Newcomer of the Year. And in a way, they could call it the transfer of the year because, I mean, it's, a newcomer almost makes it sound like it's a freshman, doesn't it? Yeah, I think when it comes to newcomer, it's a lot harder, going to be a lot harder for a freshman to win. But that's the fun part about college football. Sometimes you do see a lot of really great freshmen. I believe one of the most recent guys that I remember having a really phenomenal phenomenal uh, freshman season was Rondale Moore when he was back at Purdue. Right. And then he had that amazing freshman year and that kind of, 
that kind of built up his draft stock for the rest of his career. He basically didn't really need to do much. And now, you know, he has some really great big plays in the NFL now that he is there. But, yeah, I think, you know, great for Dylan, and hopefully we'll see maybe someone new next year. So, yeah. So let's talk about some of the work. The Heisman is tomorrow, and the reason I bring that up and tie it in with quarterbacks was yesterday a lot of the awards were given out, and the Davey O'Brien National Quarterback of the Year Award went to Max Duggan of TCU, and I don't think you can dispute that in a way, but the Walter Camp National Player of the Year is Caleb Williams. So and I know they're different awards, but like first question would be how can Caleb Williams be the national player of the year but not the best quarterback but again it's two different awards being given out and the Maxwell award best all-around player also goes to Caleb Williams I know we talked about this the other day Uh, I know you have Bryce Young I believe you said it'd be your top quarterback of the draft right now at 24 probably about 30 hours before the Heisman award is given out who do you have as winning it tomorrow oh Caleb Williams for sure I think Caleb Williams this year had one of the most phenomenal years I can't remember his exact numbers, but you know, finishing around 44 and three with that touchdown interception ratio. If you watched any of USC this year, you would see the amazing escapability that Caleb Williams had, where it seemed like a for sure sack, and he would just escape like he was young Russell Wilson. I think that Caleb Williams right now is the best quarterback in the NCAA. Um, when you look at the guy next up for the Heisman, I think Max Duggan kind of. Uh, solidified himself as second place for that trophy. When you watch that last drive of the Big 12 championship game for TCU, uh, at least in the uh, uh, regular period, where he basically just ran the whole 80 yards by himself uh, for the touchdown and two-point conversion. I think uh, Max Duggan and Caleb Williams are the two best players in college football right now. And, you know, with the Heisman Trophy kind of becoming an all-quarterbacks award, it is sad to see guys like Bijan Robinson and Blake Corum not get the um, not get the attention that they do deserve. Unfortunately for Texas, maybe if they were ranked higher, Bijan Robinson would have got yeah. more votes. Unfortunately for Blake Corum, if he doesn't have that knee ending the uh, season-ending knee injury. I think that pretty much ended it for Corum. And that can pretty much also be said for Hendon Hooker from Tennessee. If he doesn't get hurt in that South Carolina game and maybe he finishes off the season with a big win over Vanderbilt, I think maybe he still has, you know, the ability to even go to New York. They released the full voting and it looked like that Hendon Hooker just missed out because they decided that this year they'll only fly out the first four guys instead of the all five. I think what they do, it's never a set amount, but what they do is they bring out either three, four, five uh, typically based on how close the voting is. So in other words, I guess what they're saying this year is that whoever finishes in fifth, it was such a big gap between fifth and fourth, and that's why they only put four. And if there's a big gap between three and four, then they only bring out the first three. That's what I've read over the years. And you're right about Hooker. When they beat Alabama, he might have been the Heisman favorite that week or two stretch and then they lose to South Carolina he gets hurt and that was it for him Blake Corum I I think and I'm really curious to where he finishes because this guy I mean to me and I haven't seen everybody I'm not going to claim to I I follow it as close as I can to me he might be the best non-quarterback in the country. In other words, he's not a quarterback, and it usually goes to quarterbacks, although it can go to running backs. We've seen a a couple of receivers of late win it, Devontae Smith. But I just think he was that amazing. 
And it's pretty cool that after he goes out, Donovan Edwards looks like he's that great as well. But Corum, I, I hope he finishes fifth or sixth. And you just made it sound like Hooker might be fifth. But I thought Corum had an unbelievable year. And it would bother me if he didn't get as many votes just because of his injury. To me, that shouldn't be a reason why you don't vote for somebody. But I know that's what happens sometimes. And with Corum, I think you could look at it like Kenneth Walker from last year. I still believe Kenneth Walker should have won the Heisman last year mm. because of how amazing he did with Michigan State last right. year. He wins the Walter Camp Award for the Player of the Year. Bryce Young wins the Maxwell and the Heisman. I, I think Kenneth Walker was the best non-quarterback out there. Well, the best guy on offense that was non-quarterback because Will Anderson uh, was probably the second best player in college football last year from Alabama, in my opinion. But Kenneth Walker should have gotten more attention and the same way that Blake Corum this year, I think, deserves more attention. And also... Let's not forget the uber-talented Bijan Robinson out of Texas. Yeah, who yeah. I think kind of does get a little bit overshadowed because there was that whole Hudson Card, Quinn Ewers drama, and then Arch Manning committing to Texas. And everyone's focusing on the quarterbacks, when in reality we should be focusing on Bijan Robinson, who is most likely going to be the first running back taken in the draft next year. So Corm's a senior, I believe, correct? Correct. So you don't think he'll get drafted first? The, the knee injury, injury. The knee injury. The injury I think keep people, people away. I'm looking at some of his numbers. He was fourth in the country with 18 rushing town rushing touchdowns. By the way, um, um, Diedrich Parson, I believe, had 11 or 12. I know he had 10 going into the last. I know he had 11 after the UNLV game. So uh, he's got to be up there a little bit. Also, 1,463 rushing yards. He missed two games basically because he got hurt in the first quarter of the uh, Ohio State game. Uh, and he missed, the, uh, obviously, the Big Ten championship game. But I, I just fell in love with him watching him against Hawaii and basically every every game this year. And you, if you, even if you didn't watch the game, you knew you were going to see highlights of this guy. The guy was fantastic. I hope he finishes high up in the um, in the rushing numbers. You know, Donovan Edwards reminds me in a way, and you're going to have to help me with this, who was the guy for Ohio State two years ago? They go to the playoffs, and they have the running back who ended up going to the Niners at first. And his last three games, he had over 500 yards rushing. Trey Sermon? Yeah, 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 Trey Sermon. And it almost reminds me of Donovan Edwards. I'm looking at Donovan Edwards' numbers, and he put up over 400 yards over those last couple of games. 401 rushing yards, and I'm trying to get how many touchdowns, and three touchdowns. And the touchdowns were 85 and 75 yards. I remember them against Ohio State. But that guy is fantastic. So, I mean, if they, they lose Corrin, but Donovan Edwards is like they're not going to miss too much when he when he is their starter next year. And that's the thing with Michigan. They have depth at those kind of – at those positions, and they're going to need that depth when they do go into the college football playoff this year. Maybe if and if they handle business at TCU, that's when they get their rematch against Georgia from last year, right. where they got blown out by the Bulldogs in the semifinals. So I think Jim Harbaugh is kind of hoping. If I were Jim, I think I'd be hoping for Georgia over Ohio State because at least if you get blown out by Georgia again, it's not as embarrassing as you know losing to Ohio State for a college football national championship. But also, I think you want a chance at redemption and revenge. Yes, so of you, course. So you'd rather play them. I mean, sure, you're going to say, I don't care who we play, like, you know, the, the typical proper line to say. But, yeah, I'm sure they'd rather have Georgia and prove that they can beat them this time. So. And the amazing thing about Michigan is that as great as, you know, Blake Corum and Donovan Edwards is, let's not forget, Joe Moore Award winning offensive lineman. Because the Joe Moore Award being awarded to the best offensive line in the nation. They won it last year, and they should win it again this year. 
you know, headlined by the center, Olisogun Oluwatami. Oluwatimi, sorry about that. But he was a transfer incoming, one of the, I think, the best center in the NCAA. He was given the award for the best interior lineman as well. I think he is that head of that captain. He's the captain of that ship, sorry. I think that if Michigan looks to win the national championship, it will not only be on the back of a guy like Donovan Edwards and J.J. McCarthy, it's going to be the back of that Joe Moore award-winning offensive line because that is a nasty, nasty wall that Hawaii got themselves got to see earlier yeah. this year. Yes. You know, I was reading the other day an article about Jim Harbaugh and his future, thinking last year, remember, he was so close to taking the Vikings job. And people wonder if they, let's say they win the national championship, will that be enough for them to say, I, ga- I came here to accomplish a goal of winning a championship. We've done it. I can move on now. I, I don't know if that's the mindset some people or everybody would have. Some people look at it that way. Well, you did all you, you, you did what you set out to do, and then it, you can always leave under those circumstances. But I would think, why not win more? But I know he'd be in high demand, and the Indianapolis Colts need a permanent head coach. I wonder if they, I mean, we know he's got a history there. I wonder if they uh, try to really give him a ton of money and maybe try to persuade him to go back to the NFL. I think there's a chance. And, I mean, with him, you never know. But remember, two years ago, they were almost wishing he would leave on his own or they were going to maybe buy him out because he couldn't beat Ohio State. Now you beat him two years in a row. You're in the playoffs two years in a row. And, again, this year we don't know how far they might go. I, I wonder about his future at Michigan because he does has done a great job. I mean, you lose all those players from last year, and look what they've done, the defensive guys. And, you know, they, they almost don't miss a beat. And you mentioned offensive line intact, but even the quarterback situation. I mean, you go for, to go to J.J. McCarthy, and, you know, I mean, I know it was kind of neck and neck last year, but he wasn't the guy who brought them to the playoffs. And who still be that good this year really says a lot, I think, about a lot of coaches and players there, but specifically Jim Harbaugh. And I think what Jim is looking at, I mean, I think that's a really great observation with the Indianapolis Colts job opening up. I think maybe that's why you go with Jeff Saturday, to make sure you don't have an interim head coach that doesn't do too well. So that maybe you can <laughs> yeah. uh, hope that Jim Harbaugh wants to come back to the NFL. But if I were Jim, I would lo- I think I'd stay. You know, he's dealt with a lot of criticism as a time. As- He's dealt with a lot of criticism, you know, wearing khakis in the big house. I think that he has dealt with a lot of the adversity of, you know, losing the big games when they matter the most. The one that I always think of to this day is when they were undefeated and lost to the unranked Iowa Hawkeyes back in like, how long ago was this? I think this was like 2016 or something like that, because that was when Jake Butt was still on Michigan. I remember that I rem- game. Because I remember watching that game, just, and then they lose to, I believe that was Florida State in a bowl game that ga- that year. So I think Jim Harbaugh has dealt with a lot of adversity with the Wolverines. And if I were him, I think this is just one of those jobs where you keep going until you're fired. But I also wouldn't be surprised if he left when you look at the history of college coaches these days, with yeah. everyone just kind of leaving whenever they feel like it, even if they've signed extensions earlier that year, i.e. Hugh Freeze and Liberty, because he signed a, a big extension to Liberty, and then he just goes to Auburn anyways. So, you know, loyalty is dead in the NCAA at this point. So if he leaves, I wouldn't be surprised. But if I were Jim, I'd love to stay at University of Michigan to make it that year-round powerhouse to make sure the Big Ten stays on top every single year. Yeah, and I would think we could agree he's not going to go to another college. If he leaves, it would be for an NFL job. And I mean, the Stanford opening, the maybe he goes back. 
Yeah, that's true. And I know uh, uh, somebody just uh, – Jason Garrett was mentioned for that job. He interviewed and said he's going to stay with NBC, but he was one of the guys that they did interview. So uh, 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 Rocco Mendenhall, another coach who was mentioned for that job as well. Hey, we'll get more college football. We have Larry Beal coming up in just a minute, so stay tuned for that. We'll also have some uh, Diamond Head Classic tickets to give away this hour. And speaking of Diamond Head basketball coming up, ESPN Honolulu presents Call the Coach with Iran. Gannat is coming up this Monday night at 6 p.m. at Ruby Tuesday in the Moana Lewis Shopping Center. You can join the host, Josh Pacheco, Coach Aron Gannat, in person. You can listen on the air on ESPN Honolulu or watch the show on our YouTube channel or other social media platform. Should be a fun time. Hopefully you can make it down there. This is one of our favorite guests. All of our guests are favorites, but none better than what we are going to be. Who we're going to be talking with now? He's a sports and a news anchor at KGO TV in San Francisco. I know he was in Hawaii a couple of days ago, and he joins us on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia Hotline. Larry Beal back with us. Larry, it's been a while. Great to have you on again. Aloha. We can't all be your favorite. I mean, you're going to have to make the hard decision to choose <laughs> one through five, one through ten, one through a hundred. I'll wait. <laughs> Go. Seriously, you would. You're easily in the top two or three. It used to be you know, Neil Everett, but you know, he, you know, he's gotten a little stagnant. Oh, I shouldn't say that. Neil's great too. We love having Neil on. But yeah, you're, you're definitely one of our favorites because there's not too many guests that can give us some. Uh, insight on what's going on in the national scene or their city on the mainland and also be so knowledgeable about University of Hawaii and Hawaii sports in general. Well, I appreciate that. And uh, anytime Neil and I are in the same sentence, uh, life is good. Neil is great. Uh, Who's three? Wow. You know, I'd have to actually think about that. We've had some, I mean, we we had, um, I'm trying to think of the old uh, boxing guy um, who passed away a few years ago and his name escapes me right now. He's uh, uh, Bert Sugar. Yeah, Bert Sugar Bert was Sugar. great. We used to have him on yeah. pretty frequently, actually. Whenever there was a big pay-per-view fight, he was actually pretty entertaining. So, all right, good list so far. Yeah, <laughs> and let's prove how great you are by the next seven, eight minutes here. So now there's a lot of pressure for you. But let's start with University of Hawaii sports. I know how close you are to the scene with the team, and I know you were at the San Jose State game, saw pictures of you yeah. uh, with some fans before the game. What was your overall takeaway from how Timmy Chang and the season went for UH? Well, obviously the record uh, was less than we were hoping for. Uh, but you kind of knew that – that was going to be the case going in. Uh, I actually was back home before the season started and had a chance to, to meet Timmy and uh, talk with him a little bit. And he kept saying, we're going to be really good next year because a lot of young players were going to get the opportunity to play. In saying that, he was kind of intimating he knew that this year was going to be a struggle, which it was. I, I think... Obviously, when you lose 50-something players, it's really, really challenging uh, you know, to, to fill in. And you come in, and you're, you're scrambling as a staff. You're trying to put your staff together. What I do like is the fight, the determination, and the will of the team facing adversity. What I think caused some problems for them this season was 
trying to identify what their offense was. And I'm not sure they ever figured it out. And I'm just hoping that it, it sounds like TV's going to go full run and shoot next season, if I'm hearing all this correctly. And I think just doing that alone will help, will help everybody figure out what their roles are with the team. Obviously, you're going to have some changes on the offensive line because some guys are graduating. But if they had simply had two receivers, you know, when Jonah Pinocchio went out after like the first or second game and right. Zion Bowen play for like the first month and a half, if they would have had two weapons on the outside just to start the season, I think it would have made things a lot easier on the offense. As you know, when you don't have a lot of guys, if one person gets injured in the wrong spot, then you're, you're really in trouble. Look, look at radio, right? Like Bobby goes out, and thank goodness he's, you know, he's, he's doing better from all that I've heard, but it moves you from the afternoons to the mornings, and somebody's got to do the afternoons. And so everybody's moving around because of one person's situation. And you know, when it comes to that in football, if you don't have enough depth, you're in trouble against better teams. And if, you know, so that's where they are. It'll get better. It's just going to take a little while. The transfer portal is nuts. NIL is crazy. I talk to coaches all the time now, and they're so frustrated because this is not what they signed up for. They, they didn't sign up for trying to find deals for, you know, car deals for kids and payments. <laughs> and this. Nobody signed up. They're trying to draw up a play, not figure out how to, how to get cash to a kid, but that's the game now, so that you have to adapt. And it's challenging in Hawaii. You don't have a lot of Fortune 500 companies willing to throw millions of dollars at players like at Alabama and other SEC schools or USC maybe. So there's a long answer, but it, it'll get better. I'm, I'm a huge supporter of Timmy and his staff, and, uh, and, and I just hope that they're able to progress and build. And, and by the way, you're talking about uh, – I was joking with you about – yeah, let's get the new governor on. Josh Green is a huge sports fan. Okay. Steelers in particular. So, you know, maybe not talk about that too much right now. <laughs> uh, but, <laughs> but, but he wants to get a stadium built, and we need to get this done for our state. It has to happen. So let's make sure that it's done properly, and we don't build a, a softball stadium uh, two feet below the, the proper <laughs> ground level. But we can't see the field from the dugout. We have to build it right, Gary. We have to build it properly, and we have to build it quickly. Well, you faced the pressure of being our most favorite guest, of a popular guest, and you came through it. I mean, that was fantastic. That is why you are guest number one. That was a great answer. And, uh, you know, I know, I, I guess you were with Josh Green earlier this week, and we would love yeah. to get him on. I was, and I was going to ask you that. I'm not sure if you heard any of his comments about the stadium, but if you have, what yeah. has he yeah. said? Because I know he said, you know, certain things when he was running for office, but now that he's in office, I'm wondering what's next. Well, it's only been a couple of days since the uh, inauguration, and I was I was fortunate enough to be invited to the inauguration gala uh, at uh, the convention center. It was really, it was wonderful to see. He is he's a terrific man, and I hope he can get the whole state behind him. Regarding the stadium, I don't think anything has changed with his position. Uh, he he wants to get something built. He recognizes the importance. Uh, if you saw the debate, uh, he made that quite clear. And he knows what is necessary. You know, if you want to get 
big time events in the state, you have to have a venue. If you want the Rolling Stones, well, maybe not the Rolling Stones, because I'm not sure if they're going to be touring by the time we get this thing built. Right. But if you have big acts, you have to have a facility. You have to have a venue. If you want to have, you know, look, they did a great job getting T-Teaching Field ready and, you know, up and go. It was an impossible situation, and they rose to the occasion and got it done. But if you want to compete with the best programs in the country, or even invite them to play in Hawaii, you have to have more than 10,000 seats or 12,000 or 50, whatever the max they can make that. You have to have 35,000 at a minimum. So I, I think that's where they're going to start. I, I just hope that they can get, get all the plans together. The way you do stadiums down, we've had a bunch of them you know, attempted and failed in the Bay Area, actually. But you have to have the retail around it. You have to have the housing around it. You have to have, you know, all your ducks in a row. It looks like they're going to try to have uh, the rail go through there if that ever goes more than three-quarters of a mile. I don't <laughs> that's, a whole other, that's a whole other thing. But I hope they, they can get it organized to build it, and I think Josh wants to get that done. And I hope it, I'm not speaking out of turn. But, no, uh, no, no, yeah. no. In fact, I, 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 I plan on reaching out and maybe seeing if he'll, you know, come on. We've had Mayor Blangiardi on talking about sports on Oahu over the last year or so, so maybe we can do that with the new governor. Uh, again, it's on people's minds. It's obviously a very, very hot topic. And the yeah. longer time goes on, the longer I think fans are discouraged about when it actually might open, if it actually does open, according to the plans that we've heard. Yeah, yeah. I, you know, you can't wait around on some of these things. And, look, we can debate what happened with Aloha. Actually, there's no debate. That was ridiculous. You can't let your stadium fall into such a state of disrepair that it's condemned. Like, right. What are we doing? Like, come on. Let's go. I, I know pandemic and all this, but still, there's a, a bazillion facilities around the country that are being worked on and maintenance. It's, it's, look, you I'm, I'm going to the 49ers game against the Buccaneers on, on Sunday. You don't think that they're working on Levi's Stadium all the time? I mean, the Chase Center, where the Warriors play, if, depending on where you go down below, there's still people painting and they're doing stuff. And that, you know, this is an ongoing thing. It's almost like a living, breathing organism. You've got to take care of your facilities. And so. Uh, that never should have happened, but now that it has, we've got to move forward. And, and maybe in some ways it's a blessing in disguise because instead of trying to keep repairing your 1977 Dodge Dart, you're actually <laughs> going to go get a new one and, you know, so you can drive. But, uh, you know, sorry if I'm frustrated with the way that all went down. That was, that See, was ridiculous. Not only are you our most uh, popular and favorite guest, you're also our smartest guest. Because you figured if you give really long answers, you don't have to answer too many of my questions, which is a smart approach that I'm sure a lot of other guests would maybe think of. And I'm just joking. There, no, but we, I'll, but, I'll, I'll stay on as long as you want. <laughs> well, I, whatever. I, I I, I've cleared my calendar for you. So I'll go, you want short answers, I'll go yes, no. You want long answers, I'll try to go intermediate for the next question. Let's go. Whatever it takes, whatever it takes. We're talking with Larry Beal uh, with KGO-TV in San Francisco, joining us here on ESPN Honolulu. A great follow on Twitter, at Larry Beal, ABC7. So the 49ers, I want to get one 49ers question in here. Yeah. We know what happened to Jimmy G. Brock Purdy had an unbelievable performance yeah. last week. Is the sense there in the Bay Area that he can actually de uh, bring them deep into the playoffs? We, got it. we don't know. 
I'm like nobody knows about this kid. I mean, I I don't like the term Mister Irrelevant. I think it's condescending. No, I'm serious. I mean, it was a joke when they first started it, and then they made you know now like there's a week long celebration for Mister Irrelevant in right. Southern California. But I just you know, come on, it's just it's demeaning. He's a, like the guy worked his whole his whole life. He was a four year starter in college. Just because he happened to be the last pick, I mean, he is really relevant right now. <laughs> and ever since they, they drafted him, and we thought, you know, okay, it's just a throwaway pick, whatever. But from the beginning, the 49ers said, no, 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 we actually like this guy. And you can see why. I mean, he's not super, you know, he's not big, strong, but 6'1", uh, he's fit. He, he can run. And if you look at his legs, he looks like a soccer player out there. And so he doesn't have a huge arm. But look, we saw what Baker Mayfield did last night. Coming on two days of, of, right. of you know, signing. I'm not sure that we can say Brock Purdy is going to lead them to a Super Bowl. His job, given their defense, is just, you know, you know the term game manager that they used to call Alex Smith and a bunch of other guys? Yes. He needs to be a game manager, not a game mangler, okay? <laughs> so don't destroy what they have rolling. So he, he can make the short throws. He's accurate. He gets the ball out really fast, which is something that you really need, especially if you're not sure about your protections, your offensive line right now. Uh, but the defense is ridiculous. So if they right. – you know, the Baltimore Ravens won with Trent Dilfer at quarterback – throwing the ball like eight times a game. So you can do this, uh, but we'll see how it plays out. And, you know, starting against how, – how cool is this? You have Tom Brady, who was at Michigan when, and playing when Brock Purdy was born. <laughs> wow. Wow. Come on. Uh, Brady was drafted, I think, but uh, in 2000, April of 2000, and Brock Purdy was born in December of 1999. What a story. That is incredible. It's only Brady's second appearance in San Francisco as a pro. I just saw that earlier today as well. Hey, before we let you yeah. go, you mentioned something at the beginning about, you know, replacing people, whether it was uh, Timmy Chang and what he had to do and at the radio station. So yeah, who, yeah. Repl- who replaced you on SportsCenter at ESPN? Well, they got like a million guys now. <laughs> but who, was there somebody directly after you left? No, no, no. It doesn't work that way. Like, I did a bunch of different shows. So, like, now that literally – I'll send you a picture, and you can post it if you want, of the original group that I was with. I think there was 11 or 12 of us, and that was it. Now there's 12 people on every show. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's wild, but, you know, the growth is great, and you see a lot of people develop, and, and some of us develop, and we move on, and so that's fine, too. But yeah, Charlie Steiner, Bob Lee, Robin Roberts, Mike Tirico, uh, Carl Ravitch, uh, that was uh, Chris Berman, obviously, who's you know like the king of the of, of the whole of uh, of the whole pack. But it was a really, really small Steve Levy, who is still there. Linda Cohn. I'm trying to make sure I don't miss anybody. But uh, it was like me in that group. Now I'm I would be like their driver. I'd be like their Uber driver uh, for <laughs> like Robert and <laughs> Berman and all those guys based on where we all ended up. But it all, it's all good. It's all good. Well, Steve Levy, Linda Cohn, none of those people have a phrase, aloha means goodbye, that we still use today. So you've got that going for you. 
I appreciate it. Thank you for thank you for remembering. Uh, I, I think I need some new material, don't you think? <laughs> you can test it out on us, but you still are even. I mean, especially after today, our favorite guest. We thank you for your time. Uh, we'll keep in touch, and I'd like to see that picture of you guys from Sports Center from way back when. I will. I will find it and send it to you, and uh, we can. I don't know. Can we post something together? We can do that, right? I yeah. Don't know. Somebody ask, can retweet ask, or. Yeah, I'll ask my daughters. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> to help me. Uh, yeah. Anyway, uh, I, I took up too much of your time. I took up too much of your time. No, so. you didn't. It's, I wish we could keep you on longer. It's always great having you on. Thanks again for joining us. And again, we'll talk again soon. All right. Anytime. You know. You call okay. anytime. All right. All right. Take care. Okay. All right. Thank you, Larry. We appreciate that. Only had about three or four questions, but some great comments there by Larry Beal, sports and news anchor at KGO TV in San Francisco. Speaking of TV, a lot of us like to watch Monday Night Football. Great place to watch it is Dixie Grill and IAEA. You hear Chris talk about it all the time. One of the things they offer, and I think this is really important as a sports fan, and I know I am, and I think a lot of you guys are, is that you want to hear the game. I mean, it's great to be in an atmosphere like a restaurant or bar that shows the game of the big screen dixie grill turns up the volume on the tvs and to me that's really important i've gone to places where they have it on mute i, I want to hear the announcers so that's one uh, feature they have there they've got great food special their hamburgers are some of the best i've ever eaten and i'm standing by that they are fantastic every time i go there i'll get a hamburger i'll get the banana pudding for dessert Trust me on both of those items. Of course, they've got all your southern favorites as well. And after Monday Night Football, they've got some uh, cool trivia stuff going on with Geeks Who Drink. So check it out, Dixie Grill in IAEA, and put some south in your mouth. I really can't stay. Baby, it's cold outside. An oldie but a goodie, and they're all good Christmas songs. There's no, no such thing as a bad Christmas song, at least in my opinion. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth here. We'll get to some of the text. I saw a very long one that came, and I want to make sure I read it thoroughly before we get it on the air. That'll come up in a few minutes. Well, we do have a few minutes, and I want to give out some basketball tickets. We are in the Christmas spirit, of course, and if you would like to win a pair of tickets for the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic, it's for an entire day. Uh, again, four games, no matter if it's the 22nd, 23rd, or 25th. Be caller number three at 808-296-1420. And uh, so you can win those tickets. We'll have some easy post Hawaii Bowl tickets to give out in the 8 o'clock hour today, so stay tuned for that. Uh, one of our guests, well, the guest in the 8 o'clock hour, the one and only guest in the 8 o'clock hour, we're going to have Christian Winfield. Uh, he covers the NBA and the Brooklyn Nets for the New York Daily News. I want to get his take mostly about how Brooklyn has kind of turned this thing around and uh, what he sees in their future, and maybe a couple of NBA questions as well as we can fit that in. And, you know, Larry Beal joining us just a few minutes ago talking about the new stadium. And I, I will attempt to try to get Josh Green on. I didn't know that he was a sports fan like Larry said he was. But I know the stadium is something he has talked about. Not Larry Beal, but he did. But, I mean, Josh Green, the governor. And, uh, yeah, we'd love to get his thoughts. I know a lot of fans would be really interested. So we'll definitely make the attempt. And uh, I'm sure he's got a lot of things he's doing uh, just being inaugurated last week. But uh, we will make that attempt and see if we can get him on just to give us some insight and updates on what the uh, hopefully the immediate future is. I know a lot of people uh, have lost a little faith in when the stadium will open, and you know it's been something 
that had just gone on for way too long. We do have a winner for the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head tickets. Is it Andrew from Kaima Key, did you say, Tanner? Andrew from Kaima Key is our winner. Congratulations, Andrew. You go into the Hawaiian Airlines Diamond Head Classic. Again, easy post-Hawaii Bowl tickets coming up in the 8 o'clock hour. They could be yours. We'll have a trivia question for that. Uh, so we'll take a, a quick break, and uh, we'll talk a little bit more about maybe the stadium and what could be ahead for the University of Hawaii. Uh, and I know, again, a lot of people have comments on that. We'd love to get your thoughts on that as well. I uh, also want to let you know about the Blood Bank. The Blood Bank of Hawaii needs 200 donations daily. Can you help? On Oahu, you can make an appointment to donate at Waikele Center, Kapolei Commons, Windward Mall, or on Young Street or Dillingham Boulevard. You can visit bbh.org to schedule your donation. This message has been brought to you by Hawaii USA Federal Credit Union and ESPN. Honolulu. A cool Christmas song, definitely a popular one over the years. Thank you, Tanner, for that. Hey, we got a couple of minutes. I want to get a couple of texts that we've got at 808 296 1420. We'd love to hear your thoughts about anything sports related, or uh, maybe the second text I'll tell you is not sports related, but I'll get to that. Because the first text, though, uh, says that about leaving games early. He said, my wife always wants to leave early. I have stopped taking her to games. Moral of the story don't get married. Wow. I've told this story. I probably haven't told it in years. years, Probably in the 90s, I had this girlfriend who uh, lived on the North Shore, and she was not a sports fan. As uh, Anyway, she wasn't a sports fan, and literally almost had to drag her to go to a game. I don't mean literally, but I mean, I had to really convince her and, you know, talk her into it. She didn't really want to go, and it's probably just a few games that we went to. And I know this is going to sound so wrong, especially in the Me Too era, but there was a couple of times, maybe two or three times, one when Arizona was in town and they were a top-ranked team, Thanksgiving weekend, I believe, one year, and I believe uh, Georgetown maybe as well when they played, I think, HPU at Block Arena, where, okay, here it goes, I would start an argument with her, knowing that she would say, okay, I'm going home by myself tonight, just I'm going to take the bus and I'll see you, whatever, and just get mad. And I did it because I knew she was going to talk me out of going to a game. And I wanted to go to the game so badly I would start an argument, take her to a bus stop so she'd go home in the North Shore. I know this is making me look really bad. And then the next day we'd make up and everything was fine. Uh, but again, I, I, I realized, you know, it's some circumstances where you can't go to games when you have a spouse and uh, – Maybe that is one reason I, I'm not married. I, maybe there's more than that, but uh, I appreciate the text. Or the other text is about, and I don't have time to get into it this hour, so I'll save it for next hour, and I'll get into the whole topic. That is coming up ahead. We'll get you caught up with traffic, of course. We're going to talk some NBA in the 8 o'clock hour and have some football tickets to give away for the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl. All ahead with the Sports Animals filling in for Bobby Curran on ESPN Honolulu. This song, I'm not sure how many of our listeners are aware of one uh, fact about this song, and I'm hoping I got the name right of Ronnie Spector, I believe. It's a a lady who sang this over the years. She would sing this on David Letterman's show for, I think it was something like 25, 26 years. Every December, 
And it started off just as an appearance right around Christmas, and Letterman loved it so much he kept asking her back, and it became a holiday tradition. And I remember when it was the last time, as he announced his retirement, like a year in advance he did it, and she said on, on that show she'll never sing it again on any other show. And people, some other shows have asked her, I guess, over the years, and she refuses. But that's a cool song. Thank you for that, Tanner. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth, we are the Sports Animals on this Aloha Friday morning. Uh, thank you for your text. We'll get to some of those more, uh, some of those that have just come in in the next couple of minutes. 808-296-1420 is the number. We've got some Easy Post Hawaii Bowl tickets to give out. That is coming up a little bit later. Let's go over some of the headlines. And now this one, I am not... Uh, a big soccer fan, but this is really big news. And Brazil has been uh, eliminated from the World Cup. I know there's a lot of soccer fans out there, and it's hard not to pay attention, even if you're not. We know what's going on, and we know that Brazil is a major uh, player in the World Cup year in, year out, or every four years, four out. Croatia beat them, and that is getting notifications and all trending on Twitter all over the place that uh, they were eliminated in a shootout loss to Croatia in the quarterfinal stage in penalty shoot penalty shoot uh, kicks, and uh, that is a big upset, isn't it? Yeah, it's huge, because I, I think I remember yesterday Jordan Helle talking about it, where, you know, Brazil, obviously, the one guy you think of when you think of Brazil is Neymar, and with Neymar, you know, and Brazil being eliminated today it kind of is dawning on people that there's a big chance that Neymar will probably never get a World Cup win in his career because the next time they go and play he'll probably be 34 I believe so he's getting up there in age in terms of athletes so it's a sad day for a lot of uh, fans out there but probably an equally great day if you're Croatian. You know what I hope doesn't happen? I forget how many years ago this was, but years ago when Brazil got eliminated, it might have been because somebody scored an own goal. Uh, I believe, and it might have been that person or the goalkeeper was murdered, literally murdered. And I know there's, I think there was a 30 for 30 on it one year as well, but uh, they take it very seriously, as you can tell by you know reading or seeing highlights over the years in certain countries in Europe. And in South America, when you lose in a you know an event like the World Cup, especially when it's an upset, uh, it sometimes is a steep price to pay, and that's crazy. I mean, we know how sports is crazy here, and people take it very seriously, and sometimes there is violence as a result of that. But in World Cup soccer uh, and other big soccer matches, maybe in Olympics as well, uh, you lose when you're not supposed to. And uh, yeah, I mean, we we talked about the was it the uh, Iranian team a few weeks ago that if they were going to be in the World Cup because they didn't stand for the national anthem, or they took a knee, I believe, and or they didn't sing the national anthem. That's what they didn't sing. I think the they national covered anthem. their mouths. Yeah, they didn't sing it, and there was there was threats against their lives and their families' lives. So. And that might be a little bit different extreme. It's not so much on the sports side as far as the national aspects of it, but we've seen that in other countries. So uh, you don't want to see too much of that. That is for sure. Another headline, and we've been talking about it periodically throughout the morning. I, I will never forget, I don't know, but never, but that ending to the game last night, Thursday night football at SoFi Stadium in L.A., where Baker Mayfield just arriving literally, literally 48 hours before kickoff, learning enough of the playbook to actually play most of the game except for the first series for the Rams and leading them to two touchdowns in the last three minutes and 19 seconds, including a 23-yard touchdown pass. Perfection. I don't think Tom Brady or Aaron Rodgers could have thrown it any better on that play to Van Jefferson to win the game over the Raiders. Raiders and their fans must be pretty upset. 
and uh, the L.A. Rams must be feeling pretty good. But wasn't that one of the more exciting finishes uh, you've ever seen, Tanner? I mean, Baker Mayfield on that last play, 15 seconds left, looks to his left, sees Van pressed up in man coverage after the game. He says, I still don't know why they were playing press man coverage with 15 seconds to go. And then Ryan Fitzpatrick sitting next to him, you know, known Harvard graduate, looks him in the eye and says, you know, well, the defensive coordinator went to Yale. So, <laughs> so I think it was, an, it was an amazing win by Baker Mayfield and the Rams, but an equally as amazing a choke job by the Las Vegas Raiders. And I think uh, there's going to have to be some answers to a lot of questions. The one question being, is Josh McDaniels the Las Vegas Raiders head coach? going into next season or not. And we know that Mark Davis has said Josh will stick by at least next year just because just due to salary alone, I think that was the issue, that they didn't know if they had enough money to like buy him out or not, which is an extremely weird situation to hear an NFL owner. That was an issue that the University of Hawaii had a year before. Yeah. We didn't know if he had enough money for a buyout. But an NFL owner saying, I don't know if we'll have enough money – Especially when you're a franchise playing in Las Vegas, I it's that's got, that's embarrassing. For, if you're a Raiders fan, if you know that Josh McDaniels is going to be your head coach next year, because if he's your head coach next year, you it's just going to be this year all over again and the exact same questions. And I think, unfortunately, when you look at it, it's a very talented team. There's one guy you got to point to, and it makes you wonder. If Rich Passaccia was the head coach of this team, are they in the playoffs? Because he did a pretty great job of keeping that team intact, and that team went to the playoffs. And in free agency, you only got better, and now you have a 4% chance of making the playoffs. Right. That's sad. You picked up Devontae Adams and Chandler Jones in the offseason, and look how it went. I, and I don't know if it's all Josh McDaniel's fault, but it always starts, and it should start with a head coach. And, it, you know, in Denver, he didn't have a ton of success. And it's also something where you look at any assistant under Bill Belichick. I think Bill O'Brien might have had the most success, at least as a head coach, because they made the playoffs, I think, three years in a row in Houston. I don't know. If, I don't think they won a game, but they made the playoffs. But you look at Romeo Cremel, Josh McDaniel, Eric Mangini. Um, there's a few others that have not done anything on the NFL or college level as a head coach. So his assistants have not fared well. And uh, Josh McDaniel, I mean, again, it hasn't worked out. And, you know, the thing is, it's interesting because up until about a month ago, the talk was exactly what you just said, Tanner. He could be gone even though Mark Davis downplayed it and said he isn't. But then you win three games in a row. And then you're thinking, hey, maybe they can turn this thing around where last night would have put them a lot closer to a playoff position. Not saying they would have made it necessarily, but they had a better chance maybe last night if they would have won. And to lose the way they lost, uh, that's something they're not going to really be able to live down for a while. And also, remember, what loss happened before that three-game winning streak? That was the debut of Jeff Saturday with the Indianapolis right, Colts. Right. So think about those two losses. You lose to Jeff Saturday, the interim head coach, who is coming off, you know, flying in from Connecticut or wherever he was filming for ESPN. Right, right. You have those three games, woohoo. And then you lose to Baker Mayfield, the guy that came in two days before the game, had one full day in L.A., before the game, that was what that was Wednesday. That was when we were doing the Rivals Fantasy Football Show. That Baker Mayfield was probably having his first practice with the Rams officially, 
and now you lose to him. And you know what? Maybe the issue with Josh McDaniels is he just didn't have enough uh, footage of practice for those two guys. Yeah, it's, it's an incredible story. Again, I, I can't express it enough how incredible that game was last night with all those circumstances. You, I don't think we've ever seen any player play on a team they got traded to two days later in a significant role. I mean, it might have happened where a guy gets traded and he might get some playing time with his new team. And, you know, maybe it's on special teams. Not as a quarterback. There's no way I can imagine that ever happened before. And to pull out the win, A, is amazing. And the way he did it, even more. Again, Baker Mayfield said the obvious after the last night's game. You couldn't have written a better script for this. And you couldn't have. I mean, this is like what TV movies are or, you know, any kind of football movie. When they make sports movies and you have the happy ending after a struggle initially, that's exactly what, how it is. But this is real life. It's just, again, it was just an incredible game. I didn't have a stake in this game. I, didn't, I don't wager on those games. And I didn't really care who won necessarily. But I was interested. And I thought it was going to be a boring game. The way it played for three quarters, it kind of looked like it was going to be a, you know, a clunker I used earlier. And that's the way it was for three quarters. But another reason why you never leave a game early, turn a game off early, off early because you never know and yesterday was just something where just you say wow and uh something we'll remember for a while good for baker mayfield at least to get some uh enjoyment this season because i mean he's been a little mistreated just because of the sean watson trade and of course he wasn't having his best year in cleveland but good for him definitely there uh you said is that Ernest on the phone Ernest, hi how's it going what up gary good morning my brother good, good morning, morning my brother from another mother yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, yesterday, I definitely was one of the many that uh, took the Rams and, you know, show me the money, baby. <laughs> but uh, I always tell people straight up, like, hey, man, it's the NFL. No matter, you can be 3-1 and one or whatever, 3-11, and 11, you're still elite as the person on the other side of you. So never believe that. I always tell all my homies, I tell them, when you guys are making wagers, don't believe in stats, you know, they can have the most best rushing, whatever, that's all baloney. But I kind of knew that by the way that ESPN was hyping up Baker Mayfield, that he was going to do good. And the system that they run at, at um, what is that, <clears throat> Los Angeles Rams, you know, Sean McVay, man, any quarterback can do good in that system. So, I mean, I wasn't really surprised of the outcome. And they played Seattle really tough till the end. Yeah. Las Vegas. And that wasn't with a good guy. That Las wasn't Seattle. with a starter. So. Yeah, that's true. So, that's I mean, true. And they've had a six-game losing streak, so that whole scenario was amazing. But I, and I know the Raiders were favored. Just because you're going with either John Wolford or Baker Mayfield, neither are Matthew Stafford. I think that was the correct way for Vegas to view it. So, yeah, you got. I don't want to say you got lucky. You were smart, I guess. But I don't think a lot of people saw that coming last night. Not to them to win it all. Yeah. And especially the way they won it. But I guess they would have covered. Well, they wouldn't have covered unless they got the touchdown. I think Vegas was giving six, I believe. Yes. Six and a half, and then I kind of, you kind of knew it was kind of sketchy because every time Oakland, or sorry, every time the Las Vegas Raiders were a favorite, it didn't matter if they were small or big, they just knew how to fold, and they've been giving games away as the favorite, so even yes. more, I took the dog for that particular reason. The home dog. But, hey, uh, Ernest, yeah, well, yeah, go ahead. Have a good day about it, Gary. 
Okay, thank you for calling, Ernest, and congratulations. And the Raiders, again, uh, we've talked about this a few times, three times this year have had a 17-point lead in a game and lost. Well, this is their fourth 13-plus point um, breakdown of the season. Wow. And that's, that's hard to do. I think that's historic. I mean, that's got to be on the, that's gotta be on the level of Doc Rivers' and 3-1 leads in the yeah. playoffs. <laughs> right, so, right. And then think about this with the Raiders. If, and because Ernest was talking about, you know, you're only – we're, they're all equally as talented. They're all the NFL. But you think about the disparity of talent that was playing on the field. Because when you think of the Rams, you're like, oh, they have Aaron Donald, Matthew Stafford, Cooper Cup. You know, they're all good. None of those guys are playing. The best players for the Rams were Baker Mayfield, Cam Akers, who has had fumbling issues all year. They had uh, Ben Skoranek, franchise wide receiver right there, <laughs> Van Jefferson, all going up against Derek Carr, Josh Jacobs, who's having the one of the best years of his career. Yeah, you, you have Devontae Adams. You have a really solid Mac Hollins, and you look at the defensive side. No Aaron Donald for the Rams. They still had Jalen Ramsey and Bobby Wagner, sure. But you look at that defensive lineman for the Raiders. They were absolutely killing Baker Mayfield for a lot of that game with Max Crosby and Chandler Jones looking right. like Chandler Jones again going up against 68, that left tackle. But there was something with that offense. There's something with this offensive-minded head coach where, for some reason, you can't trust the offense to put away a game. And when you have a guy like Devontae Adams, who's, who's probably the best wide receiver in the NFL in certain years, you have Derek Carr, who's probably one of the better quarterbacks in the NFL, and Josh Jacobs, who's playing like he's a rookie again when he had a bat when he had his best year in the league. You'd expect this team to run down the run down the clock, and when you can't pick up the uh, first down on second down, you pass it to either Devontae Adams or a Mac Hollins to get that first down, and they just couldn't get it done, even when their punter got it on the two yard line. For the Rams' final drive of the game, sixty-four-yard punt. That's just if you're I. I don't know how I could show myself again if I was a Raiders fan. I don't know how I could show my face again because that this year is embarrassing for See, the Raiders. I'll take it a little further. I don't know how anybody could show their face just by being a Raider fan in general. <laughs> I'm just joking. I know a lot of Raiders fans, and they mostly know I'm joking there, but. Uh, yeah, and I was kind of glad they lost. I mean, I'm not a fan of either team, but I, I don't like the Raiders. I do like the Rams. I mean, they're a good team. I like Sean McVay a lot. I think he's a great job. It was a great story, of course, last year. And Devontae Adams, as you mentioned, three catches, 71 yards. That can't happen. I mean, there's been a well, few games that, this year where we've got five, six catches. He had that huge catch on the first drive when Jalen yeah. Ramsey covered up his whole face and he had that amazing catch, and they couldn't do anything after that? Yeah. That's I. That's just wild to me. So we're talking about um, Josh McDaniel's future. I think also Derek Carr's future should be uh, mentioned as well. Because I mean, every year, over the last two or three years, you hear they might move on from him, and I wouldn't be surprised if this is. I don't know if he has another year left on his contract, but he, he hasn't really gotten better. And again, they went to the playoffs last year. To be fair, they had a good run. But it's not like he's putting up 4,500, 5,000 yards anymore. And I'm not sure if he's hit 4,500 before. But he, he's not among the top ten. He's not a top-tier quarterback. 
And, I mean, if you're going to rank them 1 to 31, in fact, on our Twitter page today, I put a list. This is from CBS Sports, and they had one of their NFL writers put the uh, top starting quarterbacks from 1 to 32. These are guys that are starting now. For example, Brock Purdy is number 30. Uh, Mike White for the Jets is 21st. And then you look at the number one, Patrick Mahomes. Tua, by the way, is eight on this list. And if you go to at Sports Animals on Twitter, you will see the ranking. This is for just week 14, according to the CBS Sports writer, Cody Benjamin. Uh, but you you look at a card. I'm trying to find his number. Number 14. So kind of middle of the pack, basically, there, which is, I guess, what he deserved. I have a feeling next week he'll be a lot lower after 11 of 20 and two interceptions last night. One of them in the end zone right before halftime. So he didn't do his team any favorite. Uh, we're going to have some more football talk, and we're also going to have some football tickets to give away. And we'll get to your text, I promise that. But coming up in just a minute, we are going to have a Brooklyn Nets guest and NBA guest, and that is Christian Winfield, and he will be joining us coming up in just a few minutes. It's on ESPN Honolulu. You're listening to the Bobby Curran Show. Gary Dickman and Tanner Hayworth here. Bobby Curran Show on ESPN Honolulu. We're going to talk some basketball for a few minutes. Joining us now via the Aloha Kia hotline is an NBA and Brooklyn Nets reporter for the New York Daily News. Christian Winfield back on the show. Christian, great to have you back. And before we talk about the Brooklyn Nets and the NBA specifically, I want to get your take on Brittany Griner coming back to the United States from a basketball perspective. What do you think as far as her WNBA career? Do you expect it to resume coming up in May when the next season starts? Or if you have any thoughts on that? You know, that's actually something I hadn't thought of. I'd assume she needs time to even feel like if she's even mentally or physically ready to resume playing. Uh, but but she's got a, a little minute to decide. You know, I think the game missed her. I think the league missed her. I wouldn't be surprised to see her in New Jersey sometime soon. Okay, and it's great news that she's back, but I know in the near future, I'm sure people are going to be wondering about that, so maybe we'll find that out in the upcoming days. Uh, let's talk about the Brooklyn Nets. They've been playing a lot better now, 14-12 and 12 on the season. Is it more so with the coaching change or maybe getting their roster more intact, whether it was uh, Kyrie being suspended or players being injured? Where do you see them improving in specific areas? You know, it's all of the above. There's no question that, the new voice in Jacques Vaughn replacing Steve Nash has a lot to do with it. But at the same time, when you ask some of these players, they never say specifically it's a coaching change thing. You know, I, I spoke to a few players not too long ago. They said, hey, it's trust, right? You're seeing the trust build up from the beginning of the season until now. And on top of that, you're seeing, as you mentioned, you know, healthy injured players becoming healthy. Ben Simmons, for example, is playing tonight uh, against the Hawks. He didn't play the last few games because he had a calf strain. And it's kind of been like all, that all around the round. So you're talking about Joe Harris coming back from injury, Seth Curry coming back from injury, T.J. Warren coming back from injury. This is a team that's getting healthy, and they're playing like they're getting healthy. So no, there's no question Jacques Vaughn has had a, a visible imprint on this team, um, but it's also you, you've got injured guys that are playing healthy now. And uh, I think now it's just a matter of can this team be consistent moving forward. And they beat some of the better teams. Some of them lose to the Celtics. You know, you look at this stretch, they've been playing weaker opponents recently. I want to see if this, if this success could translate against better opponents. I'm not sure how I feel about Ben Simmons, and what I mean by that is he had a really slow start, then he had a good three or four-game stretch. He's hurt again, hopefully coming back, as you said, but I'm not sure if we're ever going to see the Ben Simmons that made some all-star teams that was rookie of the year. Where do you see him as far as playing out the season, and what is your evaluation on what you've seen so far with the Brooklyn Nets and Ben Simmons? 
you know, the start of the season for Ben was, was pretty shaky. And then he took a few games off to deal with the swollen knee. And once he came back from that swollen knee, uh, we started to see the old Ben Simmons, the guy who has that athleticism, the guy who has that burst of speed, who can play defense on some of the best offensive players. Uh, I think, and I wrote this for the New York Daily News, that you know Ben Simmons is going to be a guy who just keeps getting better as the year progresses. And when you talk to him, he keeps saying, hey, you know, this is a long season. We want to make sure that all of us are healthy at the end of the year so that we can be healthy moving into the playoffs. I think that's what we're going to see with Ben. We're seeing him progress slowly each each week. I'm interested in seeing how he plays tonight. Graham, this is his first game back. He's dealing with a cap strain. Uh, but from everything I've seen from him this entire season, more he just opens up a different dimension for this Nets team. When you're able to grab a rebound and push at the full length of the floor with the speed that he is, it just, it just creates shooting opportunities for all the different three-point shooters, whether that's Seth Curry, Royce O'Neal, Joe Harris, sometimes even Kevin and Kyrie. They benefit from Ben Simmons' pace. So I think it's going to take some time for it to look good on the floor. But I think for sure you're going to see Ben Simmons continue to improve as time goes by. And we've already seen him improve from a guy who's not even looking to score. Right? So now he's pushing the ball down the paint, trying to dunk, trying to get put back dunks. I think Ben is going to continue to improve all season. That sounds encouraging right there. We're talking with Christian Winfield for the New York Daily News, talking Brooklyn Nets basketball, a little NBA as well. You can follow Christian on Twitter at Chris Splash, K-R-I-S Splash, and as he joins us via the Aloha Kia hotline on ESPN Honolulu. Uh, Kyrie Irving uh, always in the news, although nothing really lately, but based on what has gone on with him from last year and this year, do you expect him to be a Brooklyn Net, first of all, at the trade deadline when it's uh, – comes, I guess, mid-February or around there. And if he still is a net at the end of the season, will he be back next year? That's a great question. In terms of the trade deadline, absolutely. Um, this team, I don't believe is capable of winning a championship if you don't have Kyrie Irving out with you on the floor. Um, and he's been playing well, and he just gives the offense that other dynamic of just another guy who can go out for 40 or any moment's notice. Now, if we're talking about next season, that's where things start to get a little bit tricky. I think Kyrie's odds of residing with the Nets really deter- is really going to be dependent on how successful this team is. If we're talking about another first or even second round playoff exit, I'm not sure that management is going to want to foot that bill. You're talking about Kyrie Irving being able to earn in excess of $200 million this offseason. Uh, I'm not sure management is going to want to foot that bill if we're talking about a first or second round exit. If we're talking about a team that made the Eastern Conference Finals, that made the NBA Finals, then maybe there's more of an incentive for, for management to say, okay, let's keep Kyrie down. Uh, but it, with Kyrie, it is just it, you have to say it, there always seems to be something off the court that's keeping him off the court, right? Like this year you had the, the stuff that he posted on his social media feeds. Last year it was the vaccination stuff. What is it going to be next year? And, and that's kind of the, the debacle that these front offices have to gauge. Yes, Kyrie is one of the most talented players you could say in the history of the game, but he's also just has so many things off the court going on that you don't know if the team wants to deal with the head. So I just go back to it depends on how successful this team is. If this is the NBA Finals team you're talking about, and then that's re-sign him in a heartbeat. Kevin Durant uh, is having a fantastic year. I don't know how many games he's had where he scored under 25. It might only be like one, but he is having, I don't know if I should call it an MVP-type start, but it's got to be up there. He's playing some of his best basketball of late. For sure, Kevin Durant would probably be the, the odds-on favorite for MVP if there just wasn't such a scoring boon around the NBA. I mean, you've got so many different guys flirting with 30 points right now for a game that you can't even really say Kevin Durant is the MVP frontrunner because the Nets aren't a top-three seed in the conference. 
Uh, but that doesn't take away from the type of year Kevin Durant is having. I mean, we're talking about efficiency. We're talking about, about a guy who could just get a bucket at any point whenever he wants. I mean, and, and this isn't anything new. He's just dribbling up the, up the court and sometimes shooting over guys like they're just chairs out there trying to play defense. It, it's, it's incredible to watch. Uh, and I think for him, it also boils down to, you know, he's done this before, right? This isn't anything new, but what he hasn't done is taken this next team to the NBA Finals or past the second round of the, of the playoffs for that matter. So I, I think to, to a certain extent, a lot of this is expected, right? Kevin Durant said it once before about Giannis. I think the same could be said about him. You know, his scoring numbers are absolute. He's going to get what he's going to get. It, it just boils down to does he have enough support around him and uh, can this team win games if we haven't seen them be able to win games against quality opponents yet? So I'm looking forward to seeing that this season. It was about 10 years ago. I might be off by a year or two. And for a, a, a University of Hawaii college basketball tournament, the Diamond Head Classic, George Washington was here. And I knew their, I know their head coach back then, Mike Lonergan. He was telling us on the show that they have a freshman player who he thinks could be an NBA player in a few years. And it was Utah Watanabe, uh, who has sure. really done a good job. He's bounced around a little bit. But right now, I believe he still leads the NBA in three-point uh, shooting percentage this year. I know he's expected back, if not tonight, this weekend. He's been an important addition for the this this year, hasn't he? Absolutely. I think Watanabe's shooting something like 57% from downtown, which is kind of mind-blowing when you think about that. Uh, and he credits that shooting percentage to playing with Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. He said, hey, when there's so much attention on those guys, all I got to do is sit here and make a shot. But it's more than just three-point shooting and shot-making with that guy. I mean, he's just a, a well-rounded basketball player. He can fill in on defense. He can guard a, a few multiple positions. He can handle the ball at times. He knows how to play the game. And Jacques Vaughn is even, you know, after some losses, Jacques Vaughn says, hey, we know we miss you to Watanabe and what he brings to this team. You know, I was talking to you the other day. I asked him if he expected to play this big of a role on this team. And he said no. He was just concerned about making the team from jump in the preseason. And I, I think he's acquitted himself quite well. He's on a one-year deal. I'm, I think his contract is non-guaranteed or was non-guaranteed, but – now you're talking about a guy who, who could be in line for a contract extension the way he's played this season. He's been an excellent addition for this next. Real cool story there. And, again, the Nets on a nice run right now. Christian, it's great talking with you again. Uh, hopefully we can talk again about the Nets and the NBA in the near future. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, man. Anytime. All right. Thank you so much. Christian Winfield from the New York Daily News covers the Brooklyn Nets and the NBA. Joining us here on ESPN Honolulu via the Aloha Kia hotline. See ya in a Kia. Hey, uh, something great is coming up, and we've heard us talk about it a few times this week, but you, hopefully you can join us for the Coaches versus Cancer Pauhana Party. It's coming up on Tuesday, December 20th at the Kanakapila Grill in Waikiki. Josh Pacheco will be broadcasting live, so come out and support the cause. You can talk story with not only Aran Ganat, but all the other Diamond Head head coaches will be there. Rick Pitino is expected to be there. All the participating coaches will be there. You can get your tickets right now at hawaiibowlfoundation.org. They've also got a silent auction going on. We're going to get more details on it next week, but I'll give you some of the prizes that you can bid on, and it goes all the way until Tuesday, December 20th. There are Tori Richard Aloha shirts with Hawaiian Airline Diamond Head Classic logos on them in all different sizes. 
You can get Zippy's gift card. Egan Enoy's boot camp for one month unlimited boot camp classes. Uh, you've got Zig Zane Design Blue Dry Fit Shirts. You've got No Foods of Hawaii gift pack. Big Island Candies gift baskets. Uh, Texaco gift cards, uh, gas cards at $100. Uh, gray Adidas UH basketball polo shirt. The list goes on and on. There's so many great things. Something for everybody. For the Hawaii Opera Theater, you can get uh, some items that you can bid on. The Bar Method Honolulu, uh, if you want to go to a class. Check it out. And again, the silent auction is open now. And uh, you can bid on it. And we'll have the winners announced on Tuesday the 20th. For a great cause, of course. And hopefully you can make it down there on Tuesday the 20th. we got some tickets to give away. That is coming up next. We'll get to your text as well on the ESPN Honolulu 92.7 FM and 1420 AM. Another great Christmas song. I guess they're all great Christmas songs. No such thing as a not a great Christmas song, in my opinion, anyway. Gary Dickman, Tanner Hayworth here, taking you until 9 o'clock. We'll have Artie Wilson with On Point talking more basketball. And I'm going to get into UH a little bit before we wrap it up. Right now, though, it is your chance to win some free tickets, courtesy of ESPN Honolulu, for the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl. Caller number two, 808. 808- Two nine six fourteen twenty, and you give us a call, and the second caller will win those tickets for the big game on Christmas Eve, San Diego State and Middle Tennessee. We'll have Middle Tennessee's head coach on Monday, and also hope to get Brady Hope from San Diego State on, hopefully next week as well, just working out a day and time. I want to go to our text line. Thank you for all the text, and this one, uh, I won't read the entire one because it's super long, uh, but this texter says, Gary, did you say happy holidays during Thanksgiving? I, I guess I did. I don't remember. I thought it was that long ago, but I probably did. Anyway, he goes on to say, what day do we celebrate on December 25th? I don't believe I have ever heard you say Merry Christmas on the radio. Why not? December 25th is the day we celebrate Christmas. If you want to group Christmas and New Year's in your wishes, don't say Happy Holidays. It is not difficult to say Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Something you and most uh, most others to truly reflect on. And then he goes, why do you celebrate Christmas? And he went all on some of the other uh, topics I don't need to get into now. Um, I usually, I'd probably say Merry Christmas on Christmas Eve when we do a show, and we're never on on Christmas Day. But the reason I say Happy Holidays is because it's not just Christmas. Uh, there's also Hanukkah for Jewish people. And so I, I think what a lot of shows will do when I hear them either locally and nationally is they'll say Happy Holidays because then you're not just singling out one holiday and one group. And I don't think there's anything wrong with that. I find it kind of amazing that somebody would take the time to write a very long text is not happy that I say uh, happy holidays. Now, again, on Christmas Eve, I'll probably say Christmas, Merry Christmas. And on New Year's Eve, I'll say Happy New Year. But before that, yeah, I say happy holidays. I don't think there's anything wrong with that, but uh, I'm, I'm, I'm... a little surprised you feel so strongly about it, but thank you for the text. Now, you also go on to say in another text that um, it's a shame last night's amazing football game was only available on Amazon Prime. And we had Richard Deitch on yesterday. He's with The Athletic, formerly of SI, and he's a sports media critic. And I asked him how it's going for Amazon Prime. He said it's going okay, but it's not like people are buying more subscription, and the ratings really aren't that good. But they have a good product, though. 
and what I have seen of it, I usually uh, watch it, but don't maybe listen to the announcers as much. But and I see the uh, pregame show and the postgame show with all those stars, and uh, I I think it's a great deal. But I can understand why and going into the season, a lot of people are going to be upset about that because they don't get Amazon Prime, and now you have to pay for it. It's kind of like the Sunday ticket in that if you want to get every game, yeah, you got to pay for it. Uh, if you want to get just the local TV games, yeah, you get them free. It's just a sign of how sports programming is being viewed and given to the the, the fan. Uh, a lot of it is on streaming services, ESPN Plus. They want you to buy ESPN+. Plus. Uh, and a lot of these streaming services seem to be raising their prices of late, whether it's Apple TV. Uh, I just got one. I think that ESPN Plus is going up and the Disney Channel is going up. I get the bundle from uh, Verizon where you get ESPN+, Plus, Hulu, and Disney+. Plus. And actually, it's free when you get the certain plan for Verizon, which is a great deal. But anyway, going back to Amazon Prime, I, I just know that they did it to get more people to spend money. They paid a big price uh, fee for the rights to broadcast Thursday night football, and uh, that's just the way it is. But it, 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 too bad people can't watch the games, but there's a way to watch it if you can't and you really want to. I don't know what the subscription service is monthly. It's not that high, and it's just like probably anything else, probably somewhere around $10 a month. Do you know what the price is for that, uh, Tanner? Not off the top of my head. But it's, it's got to be right around 10 I would think. Most of them are around 10 bucks a month. I think ESPN might have gone up a little to 13 Netflix went up a little bit. Uh, but they're all right around that range. And it can add up. I don't get every streaming service because I don't get a chance to watch them all enough to make it worth it. But they, every one of them in themselves, by themselves, is a pretty reasonable price, I thought. Now, we do have a winner of the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl tickets. I know it's from Kahala. I did not hear the name, Tanner. Winston? Okay, Winston from Kahala, congratulations. You are the winner of the Easy Post Hawaii Bowl tickets. Uh, stay tuned. Josh Pacheco in the afternoon will have more tickets to give out, and we'll also have a lot of tickets next week on all of our shows as well, so stay tuned for that. Let's get to some more text. And uh, this is from Umpire Eddie, and I guess we were talking about the last night's NFL game, the crazy finish, and he just texts simply this, Raiders, what happened, duh? And an emoji there of a sad face. Thank you for that, Eddie. Uh, here's some on NFL as well. And let me get from the first one here. There's a whole bunch of texts that came in. There is no, this is crazy, Tanner. There is absolutely no way in Capitals that game last night wasn't choreographed. I have been watching and betting on football for years. Baker Mayfield was not studying the playbook on the plane. He was studying a script given to him by the league. Prime time letting the game stay within reach. I'm not a fool, like you said, script. Wow. I, I, I wonder if this person really, really believes that. And I know the Rams were not favored in this game. Uh, so He put a picture of a screenshot of a betting slip, and I guess if you uh, – you risk a thousand dollars to win twenty seven hundred. The Rams were plus two seventy with the money line, and I know Ernest called early. I don't think this is from Ernest, but he said he won on that because he picked the Rams. But there's no way that game was choreographed. Rick, uh, Tim Donaghy, the NBA ref, was not involved with last night's game. Yeah, I feel like when you were talking about how how you were you're being we're not being fooled by your script NFL. That's the easiest way to say, yeah, I bet a lot on this game and I lost a lot of money. <laughs> yeah, right. So, you know, I'm fortunate for you that that, that, that that did happen. You know, you don't have to go through this whole denial phase. It's fine. We all make bad decisions, y- yada, yada, yada. I'm sure if the, the fan duel spot comes up, well, there's probably a hotline somewhere you can call. 
But yeah, it's it's tough. I don't think it's scripted. You know, I'm going to go out on a limb and say they probably just play the game and it happens like that. And hey, Baker Mayfield was the number one overall pick. You'd think that he would, you know, prove that in a situation like he did last night. I mean, the better, the better. The, the, he is a better. And the texter, the same person, uh, I guess he did bet, bet 1,000 to win 27. He says, after the screenshot, I knew the outcome before it even happened. There's no way. And if you're going to script it, I mean, you're really taking a chance scripting it like that. I mean, do you think Jalen Ramsey and the Rams defensive backs were in on this and allowing Van Jefferson to barely make a catch on that touchdown? And I forget who caught the other pass on that drive that was like third was on ben play Sporonic, of the day. Yeah. Yeah, that, that was like third or fourth on play of the days on ESPN. That was on that drive. That, that You can't script that. <laughs> you, you can't. I mean, there's no way that's scripted. I, I guess this person really believes that he also writes NFL plus primetime equals made-for-TV script, 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 uh, Parley Prince. Wow. Well, it wasn't on TV. Yeah, yeah I guess not, technically no. So it's also technically not primetime because it's yep. streaming. <laughs> And primetime's in Colorado. Get, come on, get with the script. <laughs> he's uh, he's 0 for 3. They're glad, glad he didn't bet on it being on TV. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, that's crazy that somebody would actually think that way. And I, I'm thinking he's real serious there, but I don't think he'd go through all the trouble. And I guess he shows his betting slip. So he's happy, but he says he knew it all along that this was going to happen. That's uh, uh, Can you give he us must, some advice on who to pick this the weekend? It must have been him. He must have written the script. And I he's trying so. to tell us that it was him. Well, let us know who's going to win the uh, NFL playoffs and the college football playoffs, and I'd love to get that insight there, but I don't think I would trust anybody necessarily on that. Hey, we've got uh, Call the Coach coming up this Monday night. ESPN Honolulu's presenting Call the Coach, the first one this basketball season with Coach Aran Ganat. It's coming up this Monday at 6 p.m. at Ruby Tuesday in the Moana Lewis Shopping Center. You can join Josh Pacheco and Coach Ganat in person. You can listen on the air on ESPN Honolulu or watch the show on our YouTube channel or other social media platforms. It's going to be the first of the Call the Coaches with Iran, and it's coming after a game on Sunday against St. Francis. So hopefully you can make it down there. 6 p.m. Monday at Ruby Tuesday, Moanalua. This is Christmas And what have you done John Lennon. That was the anniversary yesterday of his murder, December 8th, uh, 1980, I guess it was. Wow. But uh, great song right, no, as there. well. Yeah, and uh, Dan, again, December 8th, I remember that day. Seeing the Facebook memories of people talking about that yesterday as well. I've uh, got a couple minutes left here. I'll get to one more text that we got in, and thank you for all your texts. Uh, Brock Purdy will be exposed Sunday against the Tampa Bay Bucks, and the GOAT will upset in Levi Stadium. And this is from the Parley Prince. This is the same person. I guess he, um, he this is the guy who bet on uh, the Rams last night. So, uh Take it for what it's worth, and I'm not saying I'm, I wouldn't bet on this necessarily, but Brock Purdy could be exposed. Tampa's got a good defense, not as great as they've been in previous years. Uh, Tom Brady, I, I also wonder, and we'll get more into the NFL on Monday, Tanner, but I wonder if Tom Brady with that win on Monday night, if that could be a turning point on their season. They're now 6-6, six and six, got a little breathing room over the Atlanta Falcons, and uh, maybe that will be the turning point. And it's not a big reach to say that Brock Purdy will be exposed and that Tom Brady will beat them. 
I think you can, you know, agree on that at least. But thank you for your text. That is about all the time we have. Artie Wilson and On Point coming up next. Remember, we have University of Hawaii basketball doubleheader Sunday, Rainbow Wahine against UNLV at 2 p.m. The men going up against St. Francis at 5 p.m. We'll have all the coverage on ESPN Honolulu. Hope to see you out there, at least uh, if not listening on ESPN Honolulu. Have a great rest of the day and weekend. Aloha.